Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Time for DC Spotlight for October 11th, 2022. It was an okay week, I guess. Got some Halloween anthology. Got a lot of Batman, as usual. And we got a lot of news out of New York Comic Con, which I, I guess we should talk about that first. Uh, some of it seems pretty exciting. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll... We'll talk about it. We'll see what people have to say or people have to think. But uh, yeah, real quick, Rocky, what do you think of the, the week of books overall? Uh, not, not. But I've, I'm, I'm disappointed uh, overall. I, but I think Batman's flying high. I enjoy Batman versus Robin number two. I, and I like the first issue of Batman Incorporated. Uh, it, it Brisbane's done a good job there. But uh, the rest, for the most part, I've been. It was, I thought it was a really low point for DC. I thought this was a not a good week overall. <laughs> For, for me, I was very disappointed with it. Very disappointing. But uh, what about you? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. It was, yeah, it was, it was, I'll say it this way. It was underwhelming. It was underwhelming. So, but we do have tons of news, as I said, coming out of New York Comic Con about some uh, events that are coming up, I guess. Uh, state of, of things. We know, obviously, after Dark Crisis ends, I, I guess this sort of era of DC ends in a way there. They often have publishing initiatives. We've been doing this infinite frontier thing for over a year now, almost two years. Um, so the big event for next year is called DC universe Lazarus planet. Uh, <laughs> I gotta be honest at this point, I'm pretty much sick of the Lazarus pits. Uh, don't know, you know, demon Nezha, blah, blah, blah. So it does seem uh, this is going to be show run by Mark Wade. Obviously, we had the Demon Nezha in in his uh, Batman Superman World's Finest run. Ties in very closely with what we saw in the Robin run, most recently by Joshua Williamson, and we're seeing it right now. Mark Wade's Batman versus Robin, of which the second issue we'll talk about here. Uh, and we knew there was a, this magical crisis coming up uh, for 2023, and apparently. This is what it is. It's being called Lazarus Planet. We've seen some images of this volcano. Supposedly, Lazarus Island is not a, an island at all, but a volcano, um, which that kind of bugs me a little bit. Like a lot of the islands in the Pacific are volcanoes. Like that doesn't make it not an island. An island is, you know, a, a landmass of a certain size surrounded on, on all sides by water. I mean, technically – I say a certain size because aren't all is African? Would you consider an African island? Well, it's surrounded on all sides by water. We'll know because it's huge, right? <laughs> but Hawaii, for example, that's an island, but it's also a volcano. But people don't say, "Well, it's not an island; it's just a volcano." But a anyway, I'm being pedantic. It's just kind of annoying. Um, but we've seen this um, these images of the the volcano Lazarus Island exploding and this green liquid oozing out of it, and for some reason, forming the the Superman symbol, you know, for reasons. Um, but th this magical event is what's coming up. It's called Lazarus Island. Obviously, DC is setting the Demon Nezha up to be this big bad, which we haven't gotten enough of him for me to even say whether he's worth being a big bad. He seems pretty generic in my mind uh, and not really particularly interesting. But we're told that due to the Demon Nezha and this magical crisis and the Lazarus pits – we're going to get a bunch of mashups of, of characters, which 
in a, in a little bit, it, it kind of reminds me of things we've seen before over at Marvel. I think it was it, called Infinity, Infinity Warp. Warps. <laughs> yeah, right. Where you had like a mashup of, um, was it Doctor Strange and Captain America, for example? Yeah. Um, Thor was mashed up with somebody. A anyway, we, we've seen so far uh, Batman wearing a Doctor Fate helmet. We've seen Martian Manhunter looking like Doomsday. Um, we see. I think it's the John Kent version of Superman who looks like they're going back to blue style. So again, this, this feels old and it feels tired and I'm not a particular fan of either horror. Uh, when, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the uh, Halloween anthology anthology uh, or this, the whole magical corner of the DC universe. Like I, I never read that stuff when I was in my formative years, as it were. Uh, maybe that's why it doesn't have a special place in my heart, but it's just, it's not interesting to me. I want, I'm more of a science fiction guy. I'm more of, Hey, let me read about actual superheroes, not magic. Because at the end of the day, if you're a writer and you're writing a story about somebody who has magical powers at any point, you can just go, Oh, magic problem solved. So I, I don't know. I'm not excited about this. I'll be glad when it's over. I really hope it doesn't last the entire year. So far, we know we're getting Lazarus Planet Alpha, Lazarus Planet Assault on Krypton, Lazarus Planet We Were Once Gods, Lazarus Planet Legends Reborn, Lazarus Planet Next Evolution, Lazarus Planet Dark Fate, Lazarus Planet <laughs> Omega. Uh, and um, it, the, all the issues that we've seen so far are all taking place in January and February. So hopefully it's over by then. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of tie-ins as well. But this all spins out of whatever Mark Wade's been building in uh, world's finest, like I said, and then the Batman versus Robin, which has its final issue number four in December. So um, are you excited for this Rocky? Am, am I just, being... well, I'm well, look, I, I am more excited than you uh, and excited might be a too strong a word uh, for it, but you know what? I, I was a little bit underwhelmed when I heard Mark Wade was going to go on world's finest. Now I'm overwhelmed because I love it. And Mark Wade has impressed the hell out of me. And it's not just me. He's impressed a lot of us with his work on World's Finest. And I'm, I'm a little bit dismayed. And let me, let me just give you a little slap on your wrist uh, and others who are maybe looking at Lazarus Planet with some pessimism. Because hasn't Mark Wade earned our trust? Really? Uh, in, with World's Finest? I think he's done a really good job. And uh, because World's Finest is kind of an old thing. It's just a Batman-Superman team-up. That's been done before. What's he going to do different then? Well, look what he's done. And, uh, you know, I know that Lazarus Resin were sick of it. We got a lot of it. I Believe me, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's been one of our criticisms, in effect. When it, but at the same time, I'm looking at what he's going to bring to the table. I, uh, It might have some similarities to a Marvel event, but the DC and Marvel copy events and concepts all the time. I like... I'm interested to see what Mark Wade's going to do with maybe uh, Batman wearing uh, the helmet of Naboo. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what Mark Wade has to say about how the, this... It's likely to be temporary. Lazarus planet, it's a volcano. It explodes. Lazarus resin all over the planet. What's going to happen with all the heroes? It will likely be temporary. But I, I like how it's distinguishing John Kent even further. It's some nice callbacks to Superman Blue. It's some nice callbacks to those of us that are crying for nostalgia. We're actually getting that with this. So 
part of me is, and I say this as criticism to myself as well, because I can be a cynical bastard when I want to be, believe me. But I think, I mean, I, I think that they're listening. I, I think that they're giving us that. And and when you combine Lazarus Planet with what they're, we have, you know, I'll, I'll let you talk about what maybe the, the Superman titles. Uh, we're getting some Dan Jurgens coming back on Superman, Lois and Clark. We're getting uh, John Kent revisiting Ultraman in terms of the, the, his formative years when he was trapped in the volcano. I mean, uh, I'm seeing some signs that DC is listening, and I'm, I have faith in Mark Wade. I think this is we're going to get some good surprises. We're going to get some really great storytelling. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, you've called me out when I've been wrong before. And I'm hoping uh, <laughs> so I'm hoping that I'm I'm going to be right on this for my optimism. So uh, I'll, I'll choose to be optimistic. Yeah, and that's fine. It, it very well may be that people that love what he's doing on World's Finest are going to love this. There's nothing wrong with World's Finest, but I'm not enjoying it anywhere near as much as you. It's Superman and Batman teamed up. And it's fine. It's a DC comic. Is it breaking new ground? Is it exciting? It's kind of an, an, just an average comic to me. I'm not loving it anywhere near as much as you. The Dan Moore art is pretty fantastic. That's the best thing I could say about it. And don't get me wrong. I am a, I'm a Mark Wade fan. But at this point, I, I'm enjoying what Mark Wade does outside of DC more than what he does uh, inside DC or Marvel. Like, but in my mind, the best thing Mark Wade's ever done is Irredeemable. I lo- absolutely love that series. And I'm glad, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for a follow-up to Irredeemable, but excited for Mark Wade doing DC stuff now, <laughs> unless they put him on Superman. I would be excited for that because he's never really done that. So, but yeah, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So um, what what I do love though, is the fact that, Based on who he's collaborating with, based on the fact he's done this before, this will be a really coherent DC event, unlike some recent events where things were kind of all over the place. So there is that. Uh, Batman news that was announced. Joe Quesada is going to be doing covers for the upcoming issues of Batman. Mike Hawthorne is going to be doing the interiors of Batman. I, I'm a, I like Mike Hawthorne's art. I don't know if it's particularly suited to Batman. Uh, Jorge Jimenez is drawing a book for a comic book for Netflix. God only knows what that is. I mean, I know that um, Mark Miller has a, a deal with Netflix to produce his comics. So maybe it's a Mark Miller book. I, I don't know. But Mike Hawthorne doing interiors and Joe Quesada on, uh, on covers. So we'll see how that pans out. Chip Zdarsky seems to be pretty, pretty excited. Anything to uh, add about that, Rock? Uh not really. I think you've. Uh, I've been enjoying Batman. I think Batman is the, is is. Uh, I've been enjoying Batman right now, and I'm loving Zardaski's Batman. And and in fact, Batman this week is Batman is firing all cylinders right now. And I'm and in fact, Bat, Zardaski's Batman right now is the real true big event for DC as opposed to Dark Crisis with uh, failsafe storyline. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, this got announced previously and it's been pushed back, but I'll remind everybody because they talked about it again at New York Comic Con. There's a Static versus Batman Beyond comic coming from Milestone and also an Icon versus Hardware. Uh, and that's coming February in February, Black History Month. I'm sure no coincidence. Uh, all right. Now, <laughs> here's – well, actually, I'm going to save that. Let's talk about the Superman stuff first and then we'll talk about what could be a controversial subject. Uh, yeah, Rocky mentioned it earlier. There was a big Superman panel. We have Action Comics. I, 
I suppose expanding. I don't know if that's how it's going to be. I mean, we currently it's been the main story, which is about 20 pages and a backup of eight pages. So it's about 28 to 30 pages. I, I can't imagine we're going to get, um, you know, 10 paid stories, but I, I, I don't know. And, and I don't think they announced anything about a release date, but we are going to get three different stories in action comics each month. So Philip Kennedy Johnson is still going to be there uh, and he's going to be writing a, a book that is still focusing on Superman and we have Dan Jurgens writing a feature in the book that's going to be focusing on uh, the Lois and, and Clark, much like the Lois and Clark miniseries back in the day when John Kent was first born and they were kind of they were on the new 52 Earth. This was the post-crisis Superman, the post-crisis Lois. And then they were on the um, – or the pre-crisis, I should say. Pre-crisis Lois, pre-crisis Superman. Uh, and they were on the post-new 52 Earth, raising John Kent, teaching him how to use his powers, kind of hiding. Clark was going out and helping. He was wearing a black suit. He was going out and helping in, in the kind of this mysterious way. So that's going to be the story that Dan Jurgens is telling. And then – there's also going to be a Power Girl story that's written by uh, Leia Williams. So I'm excited for all of those things. Probably a little more excited for the Dan Jurgens and the, uh, the Leia Williams story than I am for the continuation of the Philip Kennedy Johnson story with Metallo. Uh, again, I'd rather have a new villain. I'd rather have something new instead of Metallo being recycled by... Lex Luthor, and we we even see some hints in this this week's Superman Son of Kal El. So it's exciting. Uh, again, Dan Jurgens back on Superman, writing Lois and Clark, especially is really really great. And then there is no more Superman Son of Kal El book that has been sorry for some reason when I opened that page it uh, started playing an ad, uh, but there is no more Superman Son of Kal El book. It's been canceled. We have a. a Superman, the return of the Superman title. That's going to be written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jamal Campbell. All I can say is I'm excited for that. However, Jamal Campbell doesn't have the greatest track record of turning his art on time. So I would expect the first arc to have his art in it. And then I imagine there'll be a bunch of fill-ins and he'll do a one or two more books in the first year issues. And that'll be the end of it. Um, his, his art super fantastic and beautiful to look at, but Again, he just he's not the fastest. So, I mean, just look at the schedule for Naomi. So we'll see how that plays out. One thing that Joshua Williamson has said is he really wants to embrace the triangle era um, and bring in some new and classic Superman villains. So excited for that. And then because that book is canceled, Superman, Son of Kal-El, we're getting a, an Adventures of Superman, colon, John Kent story where, uh, as Rocky alluded to, John Kent's going to be confronting Ultraman. Um Safe to say Ultraman's a bit of a nemesis for John Kent, being that Ultraman was the one that kept him trapped in that volcano, uh, you know, on that planet <laughs> way out wherever it was, uh, Earth-3. Uh, and that was when John was aged up. You know, he, he was trapped there for like four or five years. So that is a pretty interesting aspect of the character. I do think yeah, – and wish it Who's was writing that? Who's writing that story? And that's Tom, it's still Tom Taylor. So. Tom Taylor? Yeah, same same writer, same creator. I think Cian Tormi um, is uh, is also the artist on that, if I'm not mistaken. Who yeah. is the current artist? 
I'm so glad they're doing that uh, because, I mean, I know a lot of fans are saying it's too little, too late. You've already ruined John Kent. But no, I, I want that story. We need to know what the hell happened in that volcano. And I, I think it's, it's we need John Kent confronting Ultraman and with Val Zod showing up in this story as well. And uh, Tom Taylor, he can be really good at character work when he wants to nail it. And, uh, you know, and so I'm hoping that he I hope that he actually addresses it because Bendis breezed over everything like it was no big deal. You know, seven years in a volcano. No big deal. I'm just going to sit here and I, I then I escaped and I go home. You know, John Kent was not affected by it. Well, no, we it, he needs to we need to see what happened. And Tom Taylor better show that his time in the volcano had an impact on on John. John Kent, we we need to see something, and so uh, kudos to DC for doing that because I I want to hear I want to see that story. I'm kind of up in the air about it. I, I Tom Taylor is a is a a great writer. I am a fan of him. Um, I still think it should be called Adventures of Superboy, John Kent, not yeah. Superman. I agree. It uh, should be Superboy. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm nitpicking, but at this point, the genie's out of the bottle, and we've it, it feels like we're it feels like a step backward. Um, but I, but I don't know, you know, uh, I trust Tom Taylor to tell a good story. So if it goes back and it's a tale of, you know, not revenge, but with John dealing with some of the fallout, I guess it can work. I do find it a little bit strange though. Uh, cause DC definitely, as they so often do, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, right? Like we're getting the return of the young John, John Kent, yeah. that Jurgen story in yeah. action comics, the flagship title. It's, that's going to yeah. be John Kent, eight, nine, ten years old. You know the John Kent we all know and love, and then over here in Adventures of Superman, John Kent, we're going to be getting the older John Kent confronting uh, Ultraman. It it can work, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. And then this in between, is, yeah, this is five G. It's what this is. We're we're getting multiple generational stories being told here uh, at different time periods. So this this reminds me a lot of of what five G was. We're just because we're really we're getting we're getting super sons. We're getting a, a past story. We're getting current story. We're getting we're getting an expanded Superman family. Now we got like twins from uh, uh, twin Faelosian kids. Um, we're getting a different Supergirl. Looks like a Superwoman. She doesn't even look like Supergirl anymore. Uh, it, I mean, it's just we got. Two Two identical-looking Superboys, but with slightly different clothing. I mean, I got I got mixed feelings about all of this, really. Um, but I I'm not saying it can't be good um, because Batman has a big family. We get a lot out of Batman, but I, I really hope that these Superman stories uh, they that they nail the landing. And uh, uh, just uh, my my the thing that put a smile on my face that I really hope hits is Power Girl. Power Girl is my favorite out of all of them. Now Lee Williams is not. I don't know. I haven't read a lot of her stuff. Uh, a lot of the people I speak to don't speak highly Lee Williams, but in terms of her writing. But I'm hoping. I kind of like the cover to the to the the Power Girl image, uh, and so it looks kind of funny. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to that the most, quite frankly, next to the uh, Ultraman story with uh, John Kent. Yeah, I'm a big Leah Williams fan. I don't know who you're talking to, but um, uh, she's a fantastic. She she brings. What, what did she write? This, what did she write? What has she written? Uh, she's written a ton of stuff for uh, for Marvel yeah. for their X Men line, Marauders, and um, some of the uh, Age of X Men stuff. So she, she's got a very irreverent style, uh, kind of similar to. Um, God, why am I drawing a blank? Kelly, the the uh, the female writer who does uh, who writes Captain Marvel, 
Oh, oh uh, Kelly, my, the, the, the conic? No, not Kelly Sue. Oh, no, Thompson. Um, Kelly Thompson. Yeah, Kelly Thompson. Yeah. Thompson. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Leia, and I think, she, yeah, Power Girl is a perfect, perfect choice. Uh, yeah, I, I think she'll nail Power Girl. So, uh, as, as far as the, the, the uh, image that you had up there with new looks for a lot of these. I mean, these aren't other than the Theologian twins. These aren't new characters, but I do like that they're getting everybody except Superman himself, who's in his classic iconic costume, even still has the underwear. Everybody else is, <laughs> well, I guess Superboy's look, it's somewhat updated. It's almost a throwback to what his um, his 90s look with the jacket. and obviously, But uh, obviously Supergirl looks way different. Um John Kent looks way different, um, but um, the Chinese Superman—I can't remember his name right now—he looks about the same. Natasha Irons looks the same, so it's kind of a—it's kind of a mixed bag, I guess. Keenan Kong is the, the Superman yeah. of China, so so anyway. I, but I expect that to be based on what Joshua Williams said about his run and how he's embracing the triangle triangle era i expect this to be like this group this image that's probably a one of the maybe the first cover of of superman number one right his book that's gonna pay homage to the triangle era and have you know a big cast of characters so that's kind of what i would i would expect it to be so uh real quick i'll mention that scott snyder just because it's sort of dc adjacent he did sign a new deal with amazon slash comiXology for 2023 we know his best jacket press has all these comiXology originals coming out they've extended that for another year so i think that's good news a lot of those comiXology best jacket titles have been fantastic so uh all right last thing that we'll mention before we get into the books uh so there is a new tier or new level for D- the DC Universe app, um, which is called DC Universe Infinite, I guess. And I know currently you can pay a monthly fee. I think it's seven ninety nine. You have unlimited access to read all the comics, and they have tons of back library on there. And then the new books are added four to six months, usually toward the longer end of that, six months after the date of them being released. Right. They're available for that subscription service. If you want to buy them, like if you want to buy any of the books we're going to talk about today, you can go buy that on Comixology tomorrow. Right. Or the today, the day you're listening to this Tuesday, same day they hit comic shops. They're available digitally at the same cover price. Right. That, that was the whole thing. When people the sky is falling, digital is going to kill um going to kill the comic shop because digital can be cheaper, right? There's no, you don't have to pay to print it. You don't have to pay to ship it, all that kind of thing. And you can sell it for 99 cents. But then the comic shops are like, no, no, you can't do that. You'll cannibalize our business, right? And who's going to pay five times, six times as much when you can get it cheaper? Uh, so you had to pay the full price. But if you waited, you got it free. It wouldn't cost anything, right? Six months after the new comic came out, it was in there. It was in the comic solution limit. Well, now there's a new tier called DC. Uh, Infinite Ultra, and 30 days, for most comics, 30 days after they're out in comic book stores, they'll be there in your subscription for free. So there are some retailers I've heard that are like, you're you're killing it, you're killing us, why would people come in and buy? Now, to them, I would say, as a retailer, you got to know that the vast majority of comics are sold in the first 30 days, there's not too many comics that are sold after the 30 days. 
See how excited my dogs are about it? So I, I don't really think it's going to affect retailers that much, you know, like people that go in there, people that are Wednesday warriors, they go get their books, you know, right away. Um, but this is, I, I feel like this is reaching out to those people who don't want to wait, but don't have a comic shop close to them or haven't had good experience or don't, or just like to read digitally, don't have space for the comic. So in my mind, it's a step in the right direction. And one other thing that I'll say about this before I let Rocky comment on it is DC, I mean, they are trying to do their best to help comic shops and they're trying to, you know, be completely transparent and in the interest of, of seeing how well this works. They're making all the comic books through the end of the year because this DC Inf uh, Universe Infinite, I think it goes live like in about a week, if not sooner. Um, but all the comics for the rest of October and November and December from DC are fully returnable from comic shops. That means, in case you don't know how it works, you the comic shops order their books two months ahead of time, maybe six weeks ahead of time. They pay for them. They come in. They own those and they sell what they can and whatever they can't goes in their back issues. They, they own them, right? They, they have no ability to return them. But DC's making them returnable. So that means anything that's not sold after, you know, after that week of new comics, maybe they keep one or two copies and the rest of them they can send back to DC. You don't really have to send them back. You just have to show that they've been destroyed because uh, it probably costs more to ship them back than the books are worth at that point. But it's a way for shops not to get stuck with a bunch of product that they can't sell. So this is the way that DC is trying to to show retailers that they think this is a good thing. Hey, we have your back uh, in case you, it does hurt your shop. And you're not selling as many books because people are just like, well, if I only have to wait a, week, uh, a month, maybe I'll just switch to this uh, all digital subscription model and I won't worry about buying the physical books anymore. So anyway, it's a, started a bit of controversy. Uh, I don't think we've heard the end of it, the discussion about it at all. Um, I don't know what you've heard, Rocky, but what are your thoughts? I, I think I think it's a great idea. I I, I love the idea of, of one, you, know, you only got to wait one month and then you can get it on uh, DC, on the DC app. That's pretty cool. Uh, it's $120 Canadian. So we're paying $20 more than America for an entire year, $10 a month. I think that's a pretty damn good deal for reading all the DC comics that I want. And so I'm probably going to be subscribing to it, quite frankly. I hope uh, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it's how do you does it have a how do you read the comics? Is it on is it built in the app or do you just you have to use your own program? Do you know? No, it's built into the app. Um, yeah, and again, okay. this, this DC Universe Infinite app, it, it was the DC Universe streaming service that yeah, had comics you could read on there. And then when the, they took all the yeah. video content away and folded it in. Yeah, I'm just not I'm, I'm I'm curious Max. about the quality. Like, is it is it yeah. can you can you is it like can you like does it have like guided view? Can you yeah. get a close up? Is it is it is it is it a quality reading app experience? Yeah, you can read it. You, if you got a giant sixty inch TV, you could be reading comics on a giant sixty. inch Okay, because I mean, I, I look forward to it then. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, as for as for uh, as for is this a good thing? The returnability with respect to retailers. My only comment is, you know, that's probably sure it's a good thing. But the reason why I know retailers in my area have collect uh, there's fewer and fewer DC comics on the shelf some titles and I'll just name drop a couple of them like Nubia and Artemis and some of the Wonder Woman and Batgirls they're, they don't, they're not even getting shelf copies so uh, and why is that? It's because people are they the retailers are perceiving 
that their their customers are not interested in those titles and they're buying less and less of them. And maybe that's unfair. And so maybe this is a good idea for DC to do this, saying, look, buy these titles that you're that you're buying less of, put more of them on the stands, and hopefully more customers will give them a chance. And and you know, and rightly so. I mean, just because, hey, it's just because I don't like them doesn't mean that other people won't. It. And so, uh, so I, I hope it, you know, I hope it works out for DC. But at the same time, you know, focus on the quality of the stories. And, and of course, we've just talked about what, what's coming up for DC and hopefully things will really work out. And this will be a, a, a genuine kind of rejuvenation for DC because it really needs it. Because while you and I have been fairly, for the most part, I think, as positive and optimistic as we can, for DC over the last year and we're very we're also very honest in our reviews and it's been hit and miss in some areas and so uh but hopefully there is a general feeling of that things are a little bit down at DC so hopefully this will be sort of the kickstart and it's it's DC having faith in retailers it's DC giving something back it's DC saying look we're gonna you're gonna get comic books uh in one month you only got to wait a month for a new comic that's pretty damn good and so that's it's you're building a good relationship with fans and and potential readership so kudos to DC yeah, and remember, this is all driven D- Discovery Warner Brothers. They're the ones calling the shots these days. Uh, I do agree with you, Rocky. They do need a rejuvenation. You and I both agree, and we've talked about this before, that as the Superman titles go, so goes D- DC. So when the Superman titles are really good and people are excited and people are reading them and they're selling well, that seems to be the time that DC Comics, is they're in a good place. They're in a good era with quality storytelling. And I'm excited about these announcements. I do find it sort of telling that these are kind of the only big announcements. Like really the only Batman thing that came out of New York Comic-Con was, hey, we're getting Joe Quesada covers and Mike Hawthorne. They really focused on, yes, there's um, the Lazarus Planet thing coming, but the biggest news out of uh, New York Comic-Con for DC was the Superman stuff. So hopefully that means that we're we're in a good, good place. We're going to get some good Superman titles. So anyway, enough about all that news. You guys are like, shut up and talk about the books already. So we'll do just that. <laughs> Speaking of the engine that drives DC, uh, Batman Incorporated number one came out this week, long awaited, been announced quite a while ago from one of my favorite writers, uh, Ed Brisson. And this goes back and it ties into some of the stories that we had previously in um, – in Batman Urban Legends, we know that Ghostmaker is the the head of Batman Incorporated right now, which got a little bit of a surprise, but uh, this I, this worked for me. So issue one, no more teachers. Ed Brisson is the writer. John Timms on art. Rex Locus on colors. Clayton Cal on letters. Um, I thought this was done really, really well. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Again, no surprise based on the fact that Ed Brisson is one of my favorite writers. He always does a fantastic job, and we've talked about this when he's been on the show, of incorporating the superheroic and kind of fantastical aspects of that with kind of a, a realism, kind of a real world. Uh, he's done other great stuff, crime noir type stuff. He brings a little bit of that sensibility to this, even though it's it's superheroes, like especially in the dialogue, just the way these characters kind of talk to each other. Um, you know, there can be a tendency, especially if you go back to the Silver Age, to have the language be really hokey and um, and it just feels corny in a lot of ways. That's not necessarily the kind of script, kind of uh, vocabulary or dialogue we get in Ed Brisson books, and I really appreciate that. So uh, I'm not as familiar with these uh, characters as people that read Grant Morrison's run religiously probably are, uh, but I'm getting to know them. 
obviously I know who Ghostmaker is and I enjoy seeing him here. A um, little bit of a no nonsense to Ghostmaker in terms of the Ed Brisson version. I thought the John Timms art was fantastic. Uh, we commented on it before, especially in the, the Future State Superman titles that he drew that the art and especially in the backgrounds looked really busy um, and it felt a little all over the place and it was kind of hard to focus and convey the story. None of that applies here. This art was fantastic, yeah. very dynamic, uh, a lot of movements and kineticism in the art, especially there's a car chase scene that's absolutely fantastic. You can feel the speed uh, when the cars crash. You you can almost hear the, the, you know, the, the noise coming off the page. So there was nothing about this that I didn't like. I thought it was really, really great. Um, as far as the story goes, Rocky may want to talk a little more about uh, specific story beats, but just – to give you an idea of the overall story, there's somebody who's going around and killing off the people who trained uh, Bruce Wayne and Ghostmaker. We've seen in Batman the Night series that's uh, been coming out from Chip Zdarsky and has been very good that um, the Ghostmaker, Anton, I think his name uh, supposedly, you know, it's an alias most likely, but anyway, him and Bruce are going around, they're being trained. Uh, and this is not a secret that Bruce traveled the world to be trained uh, in order to become Batman. But somebody is aware of who these people are and that they train Ghostmaker and Batman. And they're sort of taunting Ghostmaker as he and Batman Incorporated are flying around the world trying to find out who is behind this and uh, prevent any more of their mentors, former mentors, from being murdered. So it's a, a little bit of a mystery story, which I like. It suits a Batman-adjacent title. Uh, you know, Batman being the world's greatest detective, but big cast of characters. And again, I'm not that familiar with a lot of them. So it's a little bit like, mm, don't get too lost in trying to figure out who these characters are, or what have you just kind of dive in and, and, you know, let the story sweep you along. And as it goes on, I know Ed Brisson is going to give us good characterization and you, we'll kind of learn who these characters are uh, and dive deeper into each of them as the story goes along. So this was really great. It was the first book I read this week. I don't know if it, if it set me up, set the bar too high for the week or not. Um, Cause this was probably my favorite title that I read this week, but uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I was very impressed with this. Uh, first, I share your sentiment with John Timms. When John Timms, when I really became first familiar with him, I think it was in future state, his Superman, Superman of Metropolis of Future State, and I was not impressed. I thought this was terrible. I didn't like his art. I thought his backgrounds were non-existent. I wasn't impressed. This feels like a different artist to me. Although you can tell it's John Timms, but it's it's just way better. The art, the the backgrounds are incredible. The I mean, this this it, the, the the opening pages are just so brilliantly done. It it almost looks like a Wolverine like character. Character's name is Tommy Tavane. He's like a knife expert that taught Batman and uh, Ghostmaker back in the day, and he ultimately ends up getting killed but it, I mean, he, lo he looks like a Wolverine like character and it's kind of funny because uh, Ed Brisson the writer I believe he you know he wrote he wrote uh, Wolverine for a while there and so hey, here's a knife character I don't know maybe if Ed Brisson Ed, Ed Brisson has some Wolverine issues he took it out on uh, poor uh, Tommy Tavane here who ends up being killed rather uh, <laughs> egregiously by by an unknown force somebody is killing off the teachers uh, of Batman and Ghostmaker and no more teachers that's the message and what and what's really good here is I'm actually impressed 
I because I would have sworn that by the end of this comic, I would I would be complaining that Ed Brisson can't handle writing all these characters jam packed into one issue, but he manages to pull it off. There's only one character that I don't know who it is, and it's probably my fault because it's probably stated somewhere in the comic and I missed it. But I've identified, I think, all the characters. We got the Knight. We got Black Mist. We got Grey Wolf. We got Gyro. We got Wingman. We got Avery. <laughs> we got Ghostmaker and Clown Hunter and uh, Sky Spider. Uh, plus, you you made a call out, Chase. Uh, great callback to uh, B- uh, Batman the Knight by J- Chip Sardaski. Uh, I mean, the t- so a lot of the teachers that Ghostmaker taught uh, Anton and Bruce Wayne. Anton, of course, would go on to become Go- Ghostmaker. And a lot of them are showing up dead or being killed off right away here by Ed Brisson and Batman Incorporated. Uh, Tommy Tavane, who's an expert in knives. Don Miguel is an expert at uh, driving vehicles, uh, sort of like a Fast and Furious type character. Takashi Nakata was a martial artist that uh, we saw in the early issues of Batman the Night. Uh, there's Sky Spider, who was, I believe the Sky Spider was sort of like the female, older female Catwoman-like character, I believe. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so she was in uh, Batman and the night so I thought it was very well done and the way it's orchestrated sort of the mystery here it's really good and I like the fact that you know I don't even want Batman to be in this comic I I, I love the fact that I don't miss Batman you know I like that and so high compliments to Ed Brisson I'm abs. this was one of my um this is competing this might be my pick of the week. It's between this and another one quite frankly but I was really impressed with this and I actually went into this kind of cynical and i thought boy am i ever happy that i that that i'm happy i think this was very well done so hats off to ed brisson and john timms i'll happily eat my words man you're a better artist than i thought you were yeah uh yeah i've seen it. he did harley back in the day and his art was very good but yeah i don't know why his future maybe he just tried to dive too far into the kind of the uh the cityscape of the future because yeah that art really didn't really didn't work too well anyway let's move on dark crisis worlds without a justice league green arrow which also co-stars black canary there's two stories in here the first one is written by stephanie phillips we have uh pencils by clayton henry the colors are by marcelo maialo letters by troy petrie and then there is uh, a backup story also starring green arrow and and black canary that's written by Dennis Culver with art by Nick uh, Varela, colors by Ramulo Fardo Jr., and letters also by Troy Petrie. So uh, what do you think of this? Uh, I didn't like it. Straight up, I didn't like it. Now, having said that, uh, I recall that a couple of um, – I recall that I believe it was – probably it was like six months ago. I, re- I recall writer Stephanie – uh, Phillips saying that she got one of her dream jobs, and I, I believe she later referenced that it was she finally got to write Green Arrow, uh, and uh, and of course I'm assuming it was this this particular title, and um, I just I'm just disappointed in this. Now I'm first I'm disappointed first of all for reasons that probably aren't Stephanie Phillips' fault because it's is this whole thing. I disagree respectfully with Joshua Williamson and the premise of these World Without a Justice League. I, the whole premise of this being a green arrow was killed by doomsday along with the rest of the justice league and him and green, him and black canary are on these prison worlds where they're living out their, their best, their, their best worlds or their, they can create in their minds that their, their best version of their world. 
I think that's the premise. And this, this premise is restated at the beginning. And um, each world has been created from the innermost hopes of the Justice League. There's just no way you're going to convince me that this, none of these stories, in my view, reflect the innermost hopes of either Oliver Queen or Black Canary, other than the fact that they love each other and their love bonds them. And in the, in the backup story, Pariah uh, acknowledges their, their deep and abiding love for each other. And that's what makes Black Canary and Green Arrow stand out for as members of the Justice League is that they love each other and that they, they're not just teammates, they're lovers. And so he basically makes some offhanded comment about their love being making their prison world a little bit different. Um, and it's, uh, and to what effect? I The lead story by Stephanie Phillips here is, it has all the tropes. It's tropey. It's derivative. It's, I guess what you can expect. Let me give this compliment. If you love Green Arrow and you're a shipper, if you're a shipper, you love, you love Dinah Lance and Oliver Queen, expressing their love for each other, meeting for the first time and remembering each other in this opening story like they do here and remembering each other and remembering their love for each other and and that love winning through at the end of the day and as the world falls apart around them, their so-called dream world, which they can't possibly have dreamt this world up because it's a horrific world. But that's the same criticism of all the World Without a Justice League stories. But if you like that, there's something in here for you. So if you're if you're a diehard Green Arrow fan of Black Canary, you'll want to pick this up and you'll get that out of it. So that's I give that compliment. But as a story that I was looking for some more insights, uh, frankly, well, I, I just wanted more insights, deeper insights into the characters. We didn't get that here. They they love each other. That's that's clear. I already know that. Um, I wanted deeper insights into Dark Crisis. We certainly never got any of that. And. Um, we have three green arrows for some reason. We have, I, I, the story didn't make much sense to me. It starts off with green arrow in a forest, in the Sherwood forest, being like a Robin Hood. And then suddenly he shows up in the modern day New York City, I guess, and meets up and him and Black Canary have a fight. Then they wander over into a bar that she owns. Then they're attacked by, I thought it was Aquaman that attacked him. Uh, I got to give a, I got to give a little bit of a criticism to the artist. You should not draw your second Oliver Queen make looking exactly like Arthur Curry. It looks it looked like Aquaman with a bow and arrow. It reminded me of Deep Target uh, by Brandon Thomas that we reviewed. So uh, yeah. it just didn't really make any sense to me. Why is Green Arrow in there attack, attacking Green Arrow? And it's another iteration of Green Arrow. And why? Why would you confuse the narrative like that? It really makes me wonder what Stephanie Phillips was told that this story, what guidelines she was given for this story. Because, I mean, and I, I say that to all the writers of these World Without a Justice League, because none of these things are cohesive. None of these makes a lot of sense. We know that all these worlds are somehow giving power to Pariah to create the infinite Earths. What on earth is powering this world that is, I guess, love, the power of love between Green Arrow and Black Canary is giving Pariah power to create the infinite Earths? Well, why, why would we want that to be the case? Why would you want to associate love with the destruction of billions of lives and the creation of infinite Earths? Like I, even that seems wonky to me, but I guess I can go with the power of love, you know? So I, this is, um, I, I just feel that this is really good for Green Arrow and Black Canary fans and they'll, they'll love it. And that part of me, I love seeing the, the love between these characters and Stephanie Phillips nails that. 
absolutely nails that. I just, it's the dark crisis side of me that wanted dark crisis to be better than it's been that I look at this and I just, I get a little frustrated, but, um, and, and, but the art, the art was good. I, I, I didn't mind the art. I thought the art was really good and I apologize. Uh, you'll have to remind me who the artist is, but the, I didn't, I, I didn't yeah, mind Clinton, the art. Clinton Henry, Clinton Marcelo Maiala does the colors. The colors yeah. Are fantastic, the art was so. really good. No fault on that whatsoever. The cover is really vibrant as well. I thought the cover looks nice, but what do you think of it? Uh, you, you did read the second story, right? I did. I did read the second story, but I, I, I felt the same way that it was. And that's what I was alluding to when I said Pariah just talks about their love. You know, he right. talks about their love and their, you know, and, and that was their, it ends with them kissing and on their dream world. And it was, but it's not, you know, <laughs> it just, I don't know. Yeah. I, so as far as any information about dark crisis, yeah, we get nothing. Uh, and that's sort of been the case with all of these one shots. Uh, I also agree wholeheartedly with you about <laughs> to a man, the, the happiness prisons have not made sense. You can't, you can't tell me that, you know, the, this kind of Robin hood pastiche is what uh, is Oliver Queen's dream, right. Of, yeah. of making it work. But uh, so r- really at the end of the day, Pariah is, is manipulating. He's, he's half truths. If even, if, if even half, you know, maybe quarter truths <laughs> or what have you. So um, you read the first story and you kind of go, okay, I'm not exactly sure what's going on other than uh, apparently black canary and green arrow get their own separate happiness prisons, their own separate worlds. But no matter where they end up, they seem to, find a way to, to cross the barriers between worlds and end up together. And my understanding is the, the green arrow of another, the, the second green arrow is a green arrow of another universe is tr- who's trying to prevent these worlds from being destroyed. It's like, you guys always come together. You're not supposed to be sharing the same worlds, you know, and he's trying to stop them from being together. And you're kind of like, wait, what the heck's going on? You don't really understand it until the second story by Dennis Culver where it's sort of explained, we get the earth black canary point one and the earth green arrow point one. Um, and, it, and it's the same thing. This, this is sort of a, almost a CW verse arrow cause Diggle's there yeah. and he creates this dimensional transport that transports him between worlds. And throughout the course of the story uh, and Oracle's there because this black canary is part of the, the birds of prey and basically what happens in the story is they're trying to come together. And then at the end, Pariah is like, God, I, I try to keep you separate. And time after time after time, you two seek each other out across the multiverse and the world's end for, for whatever reason. I guess Pariah just wants them to be separate so they don't figure things out. And maybe he's afraid if they're together, they'll find a way to defeat him. It's not that part is not uh, really explained, but. Uh, he does ask himself, you know, what is it about you two that keeps these realities from from taking hold? Um, and Black Canary's like, you know, it's our relationship. It's so strong. Oliver's always going to follow me. Why don't you, you know, create a prison where we're both there? And, you know, we're both we'll both be happy. And Pry's like, oh, you know, special. Bo- you have a special bond, unlike all the rest of the Justice League members who fight uh, alongside each other as comrades. You know, you guys are something more than that. Special bond requires us a special prison, a cage made of true love, he calls it. Um, and, and at the end, I suppose 
maybe that's what we're being shown that he's created a world where they get to be together. And if they're together and focus on each other and not focused on finding each other, maybe they'll sort of accept the bars of their prison, the walls of their prison, as opposed to when he keeps separating them, they don't, they don't accept the walls of their prison. They're constantly fighting against them to get back together. So again, it's, it very much, like you said, highlights their relationship, how special their bond is. Uh, but that's not any new information. And it has the fundamental problems that a lot of them have. These happiness prisons don't make sense. They're not happiness prisons. They're they're sort of like what Pariah would imagine would make them happy. They're not actually what would make the Justice League happy. So it's no surprise that they break out of them, right? Yeah. And this is not an original story. It's been done in hundreds of sci-fi hundreds, stories, yeah. right? It's 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 been done in Star Trek. It's been done in uh, Stargate SG One, where oh, you give them this whoever the heroes are of the story, whether it's you know, Riker or whoever, or, or the members of SG one and they're trapped somewhere and, Oh, everything's perfectly fine. It's been done in comics before. Look at, uh, Alan Moore's classics, Superman annual for the man who has everything. Even Superman couldn't accept that Krypton survived and he was happy and had a family. No, they, re they reject that. It's the whole damn premise of the matrix, right? Or do they yeah. talk about how, yeah, we used to make this utopia for you, but your your humanity kept rejecting it. Like, you know, you just don't accept that things can be perfect. It's just not in our DNA. This isn't a new idea. So so what's to be offered from this book other than, hey, Black Canary and, um, and Green Arrow really love each other and they're going to find each other even across the uh, – the, the vast multiverse are going to find a way to come back together. There is some power in that. There is something about that that I like. Um, but is it enough for a whole comic? Uh, did I need to be reminded of it? Mm, that can be, you know, debatable. Yeah. And when you put that dark crisis um, trade dress on there, I'm expecting some dark crisis content. And th th honestly, this is only tangentially related in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, well, well, I liked it for what it was. Eh, I question its value. Yeah. And I, I would just add, and I would say again, you know, how is, who cares what happens with any of these heroes in their prison worlds? If, if they're creating energy for Pariah's machine, who cares what's happening in the prison world? It's still a prison. Like who cares yeah. if they destroy themselves in their prison world or if they don't, yeah. it's still creating energy. So why does Pariah care? Like this, this is what's not explained in the larger narrative of dark crisis. And it's just, it's just, I know I, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not nitpicking. It, it, it bothers me and I'm not the only one it bothers. And anyways, but I mean, as a love story, look again, you know, I don't want to, you know, I appreciate it for the love story and I love these characters, but I just, I just wish it had a little bit more, relation to the actual dark crisis in general but yeah and and to your point yeah they're creating energy regardless so who cares and also they're gonna break out and we all know they're gonna break out so <laughs> but i you know again just to play devil's advocate if we weren't shown what happened in those these worlds or where they were we would be asking we'd be <laughs> complaining well they went away and they were told we were told they're in a prison yeah. and we get to see that now they're back so yeah. You know, us, we're fans. We're never satisfied. What can you do? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Up next, Future State Gotham. Oh, my God. Oh. Um, so, Future State Gotham, this is the last issue. And that's going to be the most Thank positive. Thank God. Thank that's God. That's going to be the most positive thing I could say about this issue. Oh. Batman at War, Part 6, Last Batman Standing, written by Dennis Culver. Art by Justin Greenwood. Colors by Brad Simpson. Uh, lettered by Troy Petrie. Um so this ended up being an okay story. Was it worth the time that I spent to read it? Not really. 
This issue has a lot of the same problems that we've talked about throughout. There's too many characters. It's too confusing. Um, you can kind of can figure out what's going on, but e even if you spend the effort to understand who everybody is and what's going on, you're still, at least I ended up feeling underwhelmed by it. Um, I don't know who Justin Greenwood is. Um, and I'm sure on the right type of story, his art could be fantastic, but to bring in somebody like this to do the final issue. And um, I, I guess in a way it, it, it showed that the previous artists on it, uh, uh, Milano Giannis, um, his art was better than I gave him credit for. Because uh, when I saw this, it I, it looked straight out of a Mad magazine, um, and and maybe for a humor type book or a pastiche or whatever, it can work. But I, I really didn't like this art. Um, the the anatomy is wonky, whatever. And again, it's not supposed to be realistic anatomy, but like. It, it, it just, I didn't like it. It, it, it really looked like, again, Mad, Mad Magazine is the thing I kept coming back to, you know, when you get those exaggerated, uh, you know, uh, political figures that are drawn and it, and it just looks wonky with big noses and big ears and that, that's what this felt. That's what it felt like. And it didn't particularly flow really well. The characters weren't recognizable. Um, and then to, to top it off, right, th this might be my least favorite art that we had throughout the entire series, um, they go through the trouble of coloring the art for the last few pages uh, after the big climax of the story. I know. And we've been asking all along for the art to be colored, but they they picked this artist, the, the worst artist that's been on in terms of style that's been on the book, and then they color it. Oh, man. So you're calling even more attention to how wonky this art is but what, why do you think that it is do you, do you think me was there because i never really got much out of the story do, do you think that the color coloring in the middle of the story was meant to convey a transition to to a different day like the, do you think the coloring added was it very specific was it a specific reason for it story-wise because i couldn't i never really got that sense but yeah i mean based on the fact that it changed right when it had the big <clears throat> climactic moment i think they were going for impact oh look at the moment of Gotham future state version of Gotham regaining its freedom, that's when you get color and what have you. So, uh, but it just didn't, it just didn't work. It just didn't work. And in terms of the story, it, it got kind of interesting and then it got a little confusing with just too many different Batman. And, and again, I think it was supposed to land with this gravitas and this, this feeling of impending doom because you find out that the evil spirit that's, uh, that has taken over Damien is the spirit of Joe chill, right? Oh no, Joe yeah. chill. The, the, you know, he talks about being the one that created Batman and what it's like, who cares? Joe, Joe chill to me. I, I liked it better when it was an anonymous because he's more of a symbol of, of crime in Gotham city, as opposed to one person. Yeah. It's not like Joe chill was this evil diabolical genius. He's just a guy down on his luck who turned to crime. Um, so, it, that part was just kind of, oh my God, really? And the other part of it, and I, I, I didn't have an issue at any point with any of the scripting or dialogue or vocabulary in this series at all, at any point until this issue. And I sort of feel like Dennis Culver was influenced by the style of art. And it was a step down in my mind in terms of the scripting and the dialogue. So yeah, didn't like it. Just so wonky to... Now we finally get color. It's just uh, yeah. the backup story. 
is by Cliff Chang, was really fantastic. Um, again, it's a reprint from Batman Black and White that didn't necessarily need to be reprinted, but at least they pulled one all the way back from 2014 that deals with Clayface and um, and Robin, the Dick Grayson Robin, early on in his career. So th- that's, that's a good story. It was a good story back when I read it in 2014. Is it worth buying this book to have it? No, go buy the Batman black and white collection. You can read that or get DC universe um, infinite. It's probably on there, but yeah. Uh, anything else that you want to add about this issue? Rock? Not really. No, I, I, I just skim read it. Uh, this thing is a mercy kill. I, it is uh, DC did not do its readers any favors as far as I'm concerned or itself any favors by continuing to publish this comic book. Uh, I mean, it was, it actually was to me, it was a reminder of how bad future state was overall as a storyline, even though it had some, you and I enjoyed some future state issues for individual one shots of a potential future, but that was a terrible future. And this was a constant reminder in terrible black and white manga like style that it wasn't over at some part of the DC universe. And I hate to put it that way, but that's how I felt. I felt revulsion toward it as a, as the, the mere existence of it in a meta sense. And then just, and, and then the story was wonky as hell. It became a story about Batman at war as opposed to being a story about saving fu- the future of Gotham City. And it, it just completely lost itself. And I just thought just it was just wrong and wrongheaded on multiple levels. But, uh, you know, it, you know, I don't know. It is what it is, but I'm so glad it's over. Goodbye and good riddance. Fair enough. Uh, okay, up next we have Batman versus Robin issue number two. This is from the aforementioned Mark Wade. Uh, so many, so many covers on this. Uh, Mahmoud Azrar is the artist. Jordi Belair on colors. Steve Wands on letters. This is chapter two. It's called Bewitched. And oh man, mixing Batman with the magical corner of the DCU. How's that working for you, Rocky? I'm loving it, man. I, I have to say, I'm 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 loving it, and it's probably not surprising that I'm really enjoying it because I'm also. It's one of the reasons why I'm one of the reasons why I'm optimistic about Lazarus Planet is because I like I love World's Finest. I've I I enjoyed Robin. I think that the way Robin ended with uh, Joshua Williamson, even though I'm hard on Joshua Williamson on Dark Crisis, I I loved his Robin. He made me like Damien again. And unlike unlike you, you and I, uh, we have different views. Not that we disagree. We have different views about Damien becoming bad again. Damien's possessed by the devil Nassau. I don't know. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I love Mark Wade's knowledge of the DC universe. The way Robin ended, it ended with him. Uh, the Robin series ends with him re- releasing the devil, uh, the devil Nesha, and that and that series of events is actually shown to Batman in this issue as as him and Alfred enter the house of mystery and are shown different excerpts in terms of the past, in terms of what went on, in terms of the history of the devil Nizha, the history and and an actual origin for the Lazarus resin, for the Lazarus liquid itself. I think this is uh, uh, this is all very timely. And frankly, it's not been done before. And I as it's a little frustrating because DC spent all bloody year long making 
making so much out of Lazarus resin uh, and making a big deal out of it. And now we've got this, it's leading into Lazarus planet. But I really like the fact that this to me is delving into the DC universe magical realm in a way that's more, in a more interesting way than, than, than I think has even been done even under Ram V uh in in justice league dark this is very i love what mark wade did with zatanna i love with how he's introducing uh zor and clarion the witch boy black ellis being manipulated by the devil nizha to, to to suck up the magic out of uh out of uh out of the cloak of ragman and feed it into the helmet of naboo uh which we know ultimately will likely be worn by batman to help defeat the devil nizha <laughs> so i'm <laughs> there are so many interesting little tidbits here Easter eggs, just it's uh, Batman confronting Felix Faust, who is uh, who is losing control of his magic because Devil Nessa bring being brought into this realm and released uh, wants to is causing havoc havoc in the in the in the world of magic, and everyone's feeling it. And Batman even risks of his life trying to save the. Uh, Felix Foss here. This is Batman at the top of his game and he's pissed off and he's pissed off the devil Nisha. You know, when, when he discovers that it's, uh, when he discovers that it's the devil Nisha, he wants to, you know, he says, you know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to defeat you for what you've done to my son. And I love incorporating the house of mystery and we see Cain and Abel <laughs> and all, all the stuff from the classic lore. I mean, for guys like me, and I'm for guys like me who just love DC, grew up on DC. There's all kinds of callbacks to DC comics we used to read back in the eighties and uh, the eighties in particular, the late seventies to through mid mid eighties. This is a dream for me, and I really like it. And it's all being incorporated into a uh, a story that I know is going to be interesting. And not only. While all this is happening, we see Batman, as he's going through the various rooms in the House of Mystery, he has seen, there, there's a good recap. It's Mark Wade brilliant, brilliantly is using the House of Mystery to create a recap for those people who may not have read the world's finest, that may not have read Robin, that may not have known the significance of the events of Robin and the team and his teammates and his new friends on Lazarus Island defeating the demon at the end. And the, by defeating the demon, that was the demon that Mother Soul is going to use to release uh, the devil Nisa, but instead ended up using Damien because of Damien's bloodline, his linkage to the, de uh, the demon Nisa. So I really, I thought this was so well done, so well done and crammed into all these pages and we have great dialogue we have all these moments where batman himself we forget batman did damien never told batman what the hell happened on Lazarus island batman is shocked and batman oh my god this is the demon nezha i mean batman's the sort of discovering this for the first time and it's all you know we're all aware of this and for once we're ahead of batman batman's usually a character that's ahead of the reader this was sort of flips it flip it on its flips that on its head and I like the fact that this is, you know, Batman getting up to speed as to what the hell's going on. And I think it's, uh, I think it's very well done. And I, I, I really, I, I strongly recommend this. In fact, as I'm talking about it, I, I, I love Batman Incorporated. This is my new pick of the week because uh, it was down between Batman Incorporated or Batman v. Robin number two. Uh, I just absolutely enjoyed this. And to know that at the end of this, this will likely lead into Lazarus Planet 
And because we know we've learned something about the significance of the Lazarus resin, this Lazarus resin was actually the liquid that was created in part by the devil Nisa, his father's tears when 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 a, a king remember the origin of the devil Nisa, his father was so upset at the loss of his son, he he learned the secret of immortality and and combined with his own tears gave created the Lazarus resin and uh, and that ultimately resurrected his son who ended up killing him and becoming the devil Nisa. I think that's a cool origin. I like that. And we, we that gets flushed out in this issue. And so this is establishing, this is a hugely significant issue, I think is reestablishing and revitalizing something that we thought we knew of before, namely the Lazarus pits in a way that I think makes it more exciting. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with this. What about you? Yeah, I have mixed feelings about giving us an origin for the Lazarus Pits. I, sometimes it's okay just to have something and not have it explained. But I get it in terms of, you know, writers wanting to tell new stories and you look around, everything's been done a thousand times. What's left to do that's new? So credit Mark Wade for that. It is sort of an interesting thing to uh, to focus on. Um, as far as the story itself, you know, like I said, I'm not a big fan of the magical users of the DCU. So having this, having Batman and tying it into the the magical users and you know Lazarus planet coming next year it's it's a bit underwhelming plus this is a very Damien focused story and uh, again anybody who's listened to the podcast for a long time knows I'm not a big fan of Damien but I, I thought Joshua Williamson did a great job of making him likable and evolving the character now he's possessed uh, he's doing evil things it's a reminder of Damien the bad guy Damien the um, Antichrist, you know, prophecy of being the Antichrist, evil. And we're going to get more of this later in this very episode. I'm sick of it, to be honest with you, this whole idea that Damien is going to be this uh, horrible person that's so powerful. He's going to bring, you know, about the downfall of DCU. Like we've seen it in any number of stories and anthologies where we've got some post-apocalyptic Gotham City or DC Universe, and it's all because of Damien. He's the Batman 666. Damien doesn't even have any superpowers. At the end of the day, I'm over it. If Damien really becomes that evil, Superman, why don't you fly up into orbit and just zap the guy with your heat ray, uh, your your heat vision, you know, from uh, 10 miles up, you know, nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. This idea of Damien is so powerful. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm done. I don't care. I don't care about Damien. <laughs> I don't care about Lazarus Pitts. I don't care about Ra's al Ghul. It, it, it's like, hey, the only way this could be worse is good if it was focused on Joker. I don't understand this 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 tendency for DC editorial to get fixated on one particular aspect of the Batman's Rogues Gallery for years. For years, it was a Joker, and now it's Lazarus Pitts and Ra's al Ghul. Like, remember back in the '90s and early 2000s when we like would read an arc of Batman and it would be the Riddler and the next arc would be the calendar man. And the next arc would be uh two face. And the next arc would be penguin. And the next arc would be, <laughs> uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have this fantastically rich rogues gallery, you know, the argument could be made maybe the best rogues gallery in all of comics. I think it's a toss up between Batman and Spider-Man that have the best villains. So why do we fixate on just one until we get so much of it, like I'm sick of it, right? It's like having this giant buffet of all these great dishes and telling somebody you can only eat that one thing. 
and you eat it until you get so sick of it, you don't want any more of it. So, yeah, again, Mark is Mark Wade bringing some new stuff here? Yeah, it looks like he's bringing some stuff. It looks like it's going to be the magical side of the DC universe. Well, that doesn't really interest me. Um, and I'm sick of Lazarus Pitts, and I'm sick of Lazarus Resonant, and I'm sick of Damian Wayne. So in that way, this was never going to really work for me. But there was one redeeming quality that pulled me into the story that I really enjoyed right from the start. This was the return of Alfred, Alfred Pennyworth, one of my favorite characters who returned mysteriously. And I love the interaction between Batman and Alfred that we've got throughout the first issue and the second issue. Um, and it felt like as Batman is trying to unravel this mystery and find out he, he again, like to Rocky, what Rocky's had said about us knowing it's the demon Nezha behind everything. Batman himself doesn't. And him and Alfred are trying to figure it out. And it was a little buddy cop feel. And it was great. And then at the end of this particular issue, I even got that rug pulled out from under me because as Alfred's walking away, he casts a shadow on the ground and we see that it's not Alfred. Alfred's not really back. It's just another minion of the demon Nezha or perhaps the demon Nezha himself. I don't know. Uh, does that mean Alfred's not going to come back? No, Alfred's still going to come back at some point, maybe to be after Dark Crisis or whatever. He's too important of a character not to come back. But my favorite aspect of the story, the one part of the story that was working for me is has been taken away. So, yeah. Well, we don't, uh, the thing is, we don't know that, right? I mean, we don't know. Why is he casting? Alfred that? might well, be so alive maybe, so maybe, and still, still so possessed, right? Right, he might yeah. be back and yeah. possessed by Nisa. We, it might even have been like I, I, I've been thinking about this. I've been speculating about this. Like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe uh, Alfred came back, and maybe somehow Damien is responsible for it or tricked Nisa because even Damien is not fully evil. Damien is uncomfortable with the torture and and the methods used to torture the bearers of magic that uh, the demon is using. Uh, so Damien is not full. He knows that this is wrong. Damien is, is up to something too. And uh, Mark Wade, he's done it with, he, he's got something up his sleeve. This, this is misdirection. I, I think Alfred's back. And I, and I think that, I think Mark Wade knows what he's doing. And I, I don't know. I would tell people, Come on, man. Have more faith in Mark Wade than this. I think this is going to be, uh, I think this is going to end up being a, you know, he's teasing it. He's, he's taking the carrot. This is Mark Wade dangling the carrot, pulling it away and then dangling it again. So, you know, I'm um, have a little faith. Okay. Have faith in what? Like, okay. So at the end, I'm going to like the last three pages of the story. I don't care. I don't care. If I end up liking the last three pages of the story, I still had to read a bunch of crap I didn't like. So I get your whole have faith in Mark Wade kind of thing, right? Oh, he's going to flip it around and it'll in the end, it'll be good. I still had to read a bunch of stuff that I didn't think was good. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody says, oh, don't necessarily celebrate the ending. You got to celebrate the journey. I don't like the journey I'm on. Whether or not the final page gets me to where I want to be. Hey, great. I'm happy for that. Let me read what comes next because now I'm at the place I want. Well, fair enough. I'll tell you what, you can drive. I'll be in the passenger side enjoying the journey and you can drive. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. 100%. I'm glad that you like this. I'm glad there's people out there that like it. Again, I, it it just, this never had a chance to, for me to really like it, regardless of what Mark Wade's doing or who's writing it or who's drawing it or, or what have you. It never really had a chance for me because again, to reiterate, I don't like the magical characters of DC Universe. I don't care about the magical corner of the DC Universe. I don't care about Damien when he's acting like a dick. And I don't care about Lazarus Pitts, and I'm over Lazarus Pitts and Ra's al Ghul. So 
Like, <laughs> this is just not for me. This is not for me. I'm yeah. over it. I'm over it and, and done. So if you're enjoying it, hey, great. I can't wait for it to be over. I'm glad it's only a couple more months. I'm glad that the magical event is only scheduled for January and February of next year. And then hopefully by that time, this is done, Dark Crisis is done, and we can focus on Superman like I want to do. So that that, but again, that's my personal thing. You guys might be really enjoying this. It's not a bad story. It's not, you know, technically a bad comic. It's not bad art. Like it's top notch all the way across the board. It's just not a story that I care about. It's not a story that's grabbing me. So, uh, all right, let's move on. Batman Urban Legends number 20. Uh, four different stories in here. We got Batman and Castle Arkham, right, written by Jim Zub. Max Dunbar is the artist. Ramula Farda Jr. on colors. Joshua Reed on letters. The final chapter of The Pennyworth Files, uh, chapter two on the hook from Chris Burnham, story and art. Nathan Fairbairn on colors. Russ Wooten on letters. Batman and Talia and My Son, written by Nadia Shamus. Jan Hoy Lindsay does the art and colors. Becca Carey on letters. And then Batman in The Murder Club, part one of four from Joey Esposito as a writer. Vasco Gregov does the art. Alex Guermas on colors. Carlos M. Manguel on letters. All right. Uh, I'm going to skip the first one for now. I'll talk about chapter two of The Pennyworth Files. Uh, this ended up being really enjoyable. Chris Burnham, a little tongue-in-cheek, a little kind of a throwback, uh, basically Batman unavailable and Alfred Pennyworth out there solving crimes and mysteries. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, I, I haven't seen or am aware of Chris Burnham doing, writing a lot of stories, uh, his, and his art. A lot of people recognize his art. He was one of the artists that did, um, a ton of work during Grant Morrison's Batman run. Um, his art's a little bit of a, an acquired taste. He has a very distinctive style. So I enjoyed this. Was it the best written story ever? No. Could Chris improve over time writing? Yeah, pr probably so. But it was enjoyable. I enjoyed it probably because it really highlighted Alfred and, and it was just fun. Uh, the Batman and Talia story and, and my son felt like a average story. Nadia Shamas. Uh, somebody out there would probably enjoy this if you're a big Damien fan. Um, but it's early on when Damien comes to live with Bruce, Damien gets hurt, um, and Talia shows up and there's a fight between her and Batman. It's a very cliche, nothing new here, no new ground covered. just kind of like, yeah. uh, the murder club by Joey Esposito. I thought this was very well done. The Vasco Gregev art is fantastic. Part one of four. There's, there's hints, there's clues. I know by the time we get through all four stories, I'm going to go back and reread and, and be able to see the seeds that are planted again, very much a mystery. Somebody's going around killing um, members of the uh, Gotham city kind of high society, you know, the, the kind of rich upper crust of Gotham society. Um, and we get some clues of who might be behind it. It's done very, very well. The art is fantastic. Uh, we've seen Joey Esposito do some things in anthologies previously. I think he even uh, previously wrote a couple of things in Batman Urban Legends. Nothing has risen to this quality. I was really blown away. Like I didn't even get through the whole story and I had to go back and remind myself who was the writer and who was the artist. That's how good this is. So I was really, really impressed. I'm very much looking forward to parts two, three, and four of Murder Club. So in my mind, the uh, the quality of this story the last story in the book is worth the price of admission on its own. That being said, the first story, Castle Arkham by Jim Zub and Max Dunbar, is also excellent. 
it's this uh, almost like steampunk like version uh, or maybe um, like Van Helsing uh, uh, vampire hunter type story where Bruce Wayne is a, is a legacy character for the order of the bat. His grandfather came over on a ship and uh, built a house, built a mansion or what have you in Gotham city and discovered a cave beneath it that had monsters and became a, a monster hunter family pass that on to his son, Thomas. Thomas in turn passed it on to his son, Bruce. Um, and there's way more to it than that. But this is a, a done-in-one story, but it's so complete and it's such a different world, alternate sort of reality, kind of along the same lines of DC versus vampires or deceased or um, Dark Knights of Steel. But the difference between this Castle Arkham uh, and and the city of Gotham is not even called Gotham. It's called Arkham, which is also really, really cool. Um, but the difference between those other stories and this is this feels so much more focused. It doesn't feel as big in scope. And that can be both good and bad, right? Like those other stories are big in scope and it's allowed them to go back to the well time and time again. We've had one shots for Dark Knights of Steel and we've had other miniseries for DC versus vampires beyond the main one for deceased. We've had multiple miniseries and even a digital first series. Uh, this is a little bit more focused and it doesn't feel like the greater world of this castle Arkham story really needs to be explored. I'm sure it can be at some point we can see the, whatever the version of Metropolis is at some point and the monsters that uh, might live there, but it doesn't feel necessary. This feels very focused on, on Gotham and Arkham itself. Uh, and I, like typically I'm not a big fan of those else worlds for lack of a better term to pull that, um, that phrase from way back when. Um, but it's been a long time since I've been th like this engaged and really wanted to read more. Like I, I just thought that the way the characters in are introduced by Zub, the way the, the world is introduced. Uh, it's a very likable, Bruce Wayne, who's clearly vulnerable, you know, it's not that super overpowered Batman that we so often get with the power creep in modern stories. So I was, I was really, really impressed by this. I think that we haven't had two, two such high quality stories in Batman Urban Legends since it first launched when we had the Zardarsky uh, Red Hood story and the uh, Matthew Rosenberg Grifter story like that, that those two, those two stories were such high quality when it launched, it was like must read, right? Uh, and Batman Urban Legends, it's gone up and down in, in quality of story, and sometimes you get one one or two good ones or, or whatever. But I can't remember since that, those first five, six issues, because I think one of them was five, -ish, uh, five parts and one was six parts when it first launched. But there haven't been two quality stories in Batman Urban Legends, two, two stories of this high quality since, since those first five, six issues. So I thought this was absolutely fantastic. The only thing that negative I can say about that Castle Arkham story is it's only one part. Um, but I imagine based on how the reception goes that we might get more. At least I'm I'm hoping <laughs> that we will because, uh, it, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, and one thing that gives me hope is they did that thing that DC does sometimes where at the end of the story it says the end, question mark. So I thought it was really, really great. What did you think about these stories, Rocky? Uh I, I enjoyed the same two you did, although uh, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about them. First one, the first one is uh, the Arkham, I guess the Castle Arkham, which I think uh, was was wrongly named. It should have been called uh, the Cult of the Laughing Moon. 
I think would have been a more cool name for it. It should have been an Elseworlds tale, uh, Cult of the Laughing Moon. I mean, you know that's a Joker reference, and it's it's yeah. cool. This is an El- this is an Elseworlds story. If this was in the '90s, this would have been an Elseworlds story. And Jim Zub, good good on you, man. I I love Commissioner Jordan St. James, Lady Vale, Lord Wayne, uh, Lord Falcone, Lord Fa- Lord Carmine, Julia Pennyworth taking over for her Alfred Pennyworth, her father who died. So, uh. I love this mythology that's been created and this uh, and this this strange sort of blood, this strange sort of liquid that seems to be possessing people. At first, I'm wondering, is it is it Lazarus liquid of some kind, but it's related to the Joker? Uh, I'm not really sure, but it it seems to give rise to horrific creatures, uh, all related to the Arkham Manor, which is, uh, of course, led by this mysterious, you know, well, I imagine it's the Joker, but we don't. It's it's all surrounded in mystery. Arkham Manor seems to be powerful. There, uh, Jim Zub uh, hints at a larger narrative. There's a there's the House Falcone. There's a House Wayne, and there's House Vale, and the various houses sort of in this city of Gotham are, are sort of vying for power, and they want to one day one of them. Lord Falcone, for example, wants to be as powerful as Arkham Manor. Well, what's so powerful about Arkham Manor? Well, we know that it's led in the basement. We got this cult of the laughing moon uh, or, or the cult of smiles, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's it's very interesting. We got we got Manbat, we who is uh, also uh, very you know, he's exact Professor Kirkland, you know, he, he works in the forensic department and he ultimately becomes this this terror creature that is ultimately destroyed. But it, it it's very well done. It, it it's a teaser into this new world that I I I I would happily have bought this one shot if it was in an Elseworlds. It's unfortunately it's crammed in a Batman Urban Legends that it's not gonna get the audience that that it deserves uh and uh, kudos to jim's up for writing it so i quite enjoyed that uh the the murder club by by writer joy esposito artist uh, vasco georgiev i thought that was really good too what's very interesting about the murder club is that it teases it teases the return of thomas and martha wayne at the end it's uh so the it's quite interesting in terms of what uh what exactly is going on there? As he said, in the murder club, Gotham City elites are being killed, but who's killing them and why? And how does Thomas and Martha Wayne suddenly make an appearance at the end of the story? It's an interesting mystery. Uh, I'm surprised. I never expected uh, I never expected to be entertained by something written by Joey Esposito. Uh, he's impressed me. This is good. The art's fantastic. Vasco Georgiev. I agree. It's really good. I even enjoyed the uh, on the story written by Nadia Shamus called "My Son," art by uh, Janoy Lindsay. Uh, it's basically it, it's a nice touching story for those that love the relationship story between Green Arrow and Black Canary. If you're if you if you want a good story about uh, uh, Talia. Uh, uh, Talia visiting her son. This this takes place after a period of time where Damien has been injured in while fighting with Batman, and Talia is there. And it's it's a good it's actually a good mother father moment. Talia is there. She's there because she loves her son, but she takes it out on Bruce on Bruce, of course. And it's just a mother. It's about a mother's love for her son, and it's it, it's actually quite touching. Nightwing intervenes, tells Talia it's not Batman's, it's not Bruce's fault. Damien is who he is. Damien chose to be there. And this is a story about Talia respecting her mother, 
Talia respecting her son's decision to be with Bruce, but also angry and a little upset that, you know, she she had to let Damien go, but as a mother, she's got a mother's love. And it was it was a touching it was a touching it was a touching story. Um the the story with uh you, you mentioned uh I don't have much to add with respect to your story. I think you you said it all. Uh it was very well done by um sorry, uh Chris Burnham's Chris story, Burnham. part three. I thought that was well done. It's nice to see Alfred get some limelight here. Uh we've got teasers of Alfred, is he back or isn't he, with <laughs> Batman versus Robin. It's nice to see in the Pennyworth files uh Alfred getting his love and Chris Burnham has done a good job of uh of, uh, you know, it's a good addition to this story. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues of Batman Urban Legends. This is issue 20. If you're going to, if you're going to pick up some, if you're going to spend the money, the $10 American, 13, whatever, 1350 Canadian and buy a Batman Urban Legends, this might be one that you might want to pick up because it's one of the better ones. Yep. Agreed. Uh, All right. Up next, we have the final issue of the Jurassic League, written by Juan Gideon and Daniel Warren Johnson, art by Juan Gideon, colors by Mike Spicer, letters by Farron Delgado. Uh, This is another one that ends with a question mark, the end, dot, 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 question mark. We see the dinosaurs taking on uh, basically the dinosaur version of Darkseid. There's a lot of action, basically kind of by the numbers sort of story, which I sort of feel like was this whole thing. It's Justice League as dinosaurs. And if you think that idea is really, really cool, you're going to pick this up and you're going to like it. You're kind (laughs) of like me and it just makes you kind of shrug your shoulders. Then at the end of this, you're you're not going to be surprised. It's nothing out of the ordinary and um, some cool visuals and you read it and you're like, okay, that was fine. You know, that was, that was, you know, five minutes of enjoyment or whatever, and then you're going to forget about it. <laughs> you know, it's not, not anything super memorable. So for me, this whole series was just kind of okay. A uh, little bit of fan service, I guess. Uh, if you like the idea of mashing up um, the classic superheroes uh, of the DC universe with dinosaurs, you know, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern. Um, I will say that the, uh, the one cover with, dark side looking larger than life uh, is pretty cool. <laughs> that, yeah. that image is cooler than any image that we got in the, in the entire series. So what do you think of this Rocky? Yeah. I share your sentiment about the cover. If uh, I, I collect, uh, I, I collect dark side covers. This is one where I definitely want to get a, get my hands on uh, because I think it's uh it might have a lower print run. So for a speculator alert, if you're a dark side fan, you might want to pick up this uh, cover B to uh, Jurassic League because it is gorgeous. And, you know, the, this whole thing about, you know, the concept is so straightforward. This this is a comic book. It, this comic is not trying to be anything. This is exactly as advertised. This is the Justice League as dinosaurs. We've talked about this before. And it's just, it's so much fun. Even cover A is fantastic. It shows, I mean, it looks like Darkseid's mouth about to swallow the dinosaur versions of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, the Trinity. I mean, this is just, it's, and the story here is decent. This is a good old-fashioned, Just this is a good Justice League story. Justice League prevails at the end. Ultimately, they defeat the forces of Darkseid and Joker Lizard and all the all the various uh, uh, 
the, the Justice League comes together. This is the definitive origin of how the Justice Jurassic League came together to defeat a common enemy, darkly aside. And <laughs> this is, and it looks like this is not going to be the last time we see the Jurassic League. Apparently, it's going to be part of the DC dawn of the DC universe moving forward. Apparently, from reading future solicits, this is something that they have their own Earth, their own universe. And so this isn't going to be the last we see of them. One has to wonder if perhaps at some point we might even see a, an animated cartoon of some kind uh, for this series. Who knows? And um, yeah, and this is this did is you read, well, go ahead. Did you read Spider-Ham back in the day? I did. Yeah, I, I got the uh, yeah, I got that. Yeah, I got the series. Yeah, Mar- Mar- yeah Marvel Tales. Or the the one shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Man, I have one and it's beat to hell because, you know, I got it when I was so young and shared it with my even younger brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. Probably like five or six of so the covers like practically falling off or whatever. But that's what this reminds me of, you know? Yeah. yeah. Marvel Tales, you had obviously Peter Porker and, and Goose Rider <laughs> and the Pun Fisher and, and whatever. Yeah. And that's what this reminds me of, honestly. Yeah. I'm it's, not generally like a fan of anthropomorphic characters myself, yeah. but, you know, every now and then it, it, you know, puts a smile on my face. So, yeah. And as you said, this, this never tried to be anything but what it was advertised as. So, yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on. We have Wonder Woman number 792, Feral Part 2, Michael W. Conrad and Becky Cloonan on the script, Marguerite Savage on art, Pat Brosso on letters. Um, yeah, uh, we've, we talked a little bit last time about the Marguerite Savage interiors. I think she does a, a relatively reasonable job. I don't think the transitions in this particular issue are as, quite as good as uh, they were in the last issue. You know, I've talked before about her art feeling like a little bit like um, like a children's book art in terms of it's a bunch of static images that tell a story, but it's it's not, you know, traditional comic art that that gives us, you know, uh, a real sense of, of movement and, and storytelling. Um, so it's, again, not quite as good, but it's still really, really strong. Uh, everything is colored and kind of, pinks and oranges, almost like a peach color. Uh, but it's a beautiful book to look at regardless of that. Um, the story itself. Yeah. I just, I think what it is about um, Clunan and Conrad's Wonder Woman story that, that gets me is it just, it never, the narrative never feels like it's flowing really smoothly. Um, it always feels like it's a little bit rushed trying to, get to the next thing. Um, it, it's almost like they, their ideas of um, their story ideas are all, are just a little bit too big for the amount of space that they have. Um, and the other thing that I'll say, and this is just, uh, just a little nitpicky thing at the end of the last story arc, we saw Wonder Woman show up. She was just as Diana Prince and we're told, Oh, it's a whole new era coming. And it, it felt very much like a, a callback to the mod era of Wonder Woman where she, we weren't going to see her in costume. She wasn't really going to use her powers. And then last issue, the first issue of this arc, we saw her in disguise and it seemed like, okay, we're almost getting there. And now this feels back to her using her superpowers and it's not feeling like that mod era at all. And this doesn't feel like a, a new era, a new beginning, a new direction. It feels like the same old stuff that we've gotten before. Um, and the quality has been a little inconsistent. Um, but I mean, it definitely at the end doesn't feel like any sort of new era, new direction as Wonder Woman flies up to meet Superman. Um, 
and she says, uh, you know, welcome home, basically. So I, I'm not sure what the point of that uh, last page was in the last arc that said we were going to get a new direction because we, we don't. Uh, and as far as the backup goes, uh, let me give the, the credits real fast. Written by Jordi Belair, art by Paulina Gaunachau, colors by Kendall Good, letters by Becca Carey. You guys are sick of hearing me say this, I'm sure. It's a quality story for younger readers who are interested in Wonder Woman, but in no way does this young Diana story belong in the same book with the regular story because the tone is completely different. Just put out a one shot of young Diana quarterly um, that collects these or a graphic novel that collect once a year that collects all these and stop shoehorning into the regular book because it, I think it's terrible if you're making somebody who's interested in these young Diana books buy pay so much more when all you get is eight pages of the young Diana, but yet they're having to pay whatever it is, five, six bucks for a main story that they're likely not reading. Uh, and for the people that are reading and enjoying the main story, they're not reading that backup story. Um, it's just the audiences are, the target audiences are completely different. So save everybody the trouble and just, just stop putting it in there. So uh, yeah. I'll keep saying that every time <laughs> I have to read one of these Wonder Woman books. So anyway, what are your thoughts? Well, first, I want to give a shout out to the uh, covers. Uh, I, I, the cover B, I don't even know who the cover artist is, but it's, it's fantastic. Joel Jones. Joel Jones. Uh, that that's, looks amazing with uh, Cheetah uh, having her arms wrapped around the, the neck of Wonder Woman. Look, it looks visceral. It looks awesome. And there's a cover C uh, by Orzu. Uh, it looks really, really good. Uh, there's a cover D, which I don't know who does that, I, of Cheetah that looks very stylistic. It's not my style, but uh, I'm collecting all the black. There's a Black Adam movie variant, which I'm definitely getting. I'm getting all the black movie variant covers, uh, just like I got all the Suicide Squad movie covers. Uh, I am, I am re- despite all... Uh, Evidence to the contrary. I insist that Black Adam's going to be a billion dollar movie. I want it to be. I want to wish it into existence. And I love the covers. And I actually got all the McFarlane action figures of it as well for Black Adam. I just, I just, I'm going to support the movie and uh, I hope it's good. <laughs> yeah, Lucio Rio does the Black Adam movie variant and the, yeah. the Cheetah variants, Crystal Kung. The Cheetah variants are one in 50. Yeah. And the Zoo, zoo or Zoo is uh, one in 25. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's no, uh, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't believe in ratio variance. I believe they screw the fans over and uh, that's just my own personal theory, but well, maybe I'll do a rant video on uh, ratio variance, but in any event, the story itself for, uh, uh, uh Marguerite, uh, uh, Marguerite Sauvage, her art. I don't mind it. it. It's a marked improvement. She continues to get better. You, you made a very uh, astute observation that you've made it before about how there's not, it's, you know, her, her characters can be very static, but it is getting better. I mean, uh, I even have a sense on the first page where that, that cheetah is actually ripping the cage apart. And there's uh, there, the battle sequence, uh, the battle between her and Wonder Woman at first. I, I do get a sense that there's some action going on there and, and, uh, you know, it's better than her future state issues. Now, having said that, my, my issue isn't really with the art. It has to do with the story. And and, and I I just, at this point, I just, Be- Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, I, it's so obvious to me that they really, they're all over the place. I don't know where they want to go with this. I it, They're trying to incorporate so many different aspects of Wonder Woman. They're picking and choosing as they go. It's inconsistent. It's all over the place. I... 
they're they're really trying to they're actually I mean, I can't believe they're they're actually proceeding with this ridiculous vile milk drinkers and and now they've linked Veronica Kale to producing this this milk product that is uh, a lot susceptible that is creating mind control in some people and we got the Escazita tribe and we have Ver- Kale Industries involved in in capturing cheetah and manufacturing this milk for Dr. Psycho's machinations who was defeated uh, handily last issue. And, and for what exactly? I don't know. Most of this issue is totally wasted on a lot of it's wasted on caring about the cheetah. We, for the one millionth time, we got Wonder Woman actually thinking that cheetah, it's not cheetah's fault that she's a psycho psychopathic uh, killer because she's always, you know, it's always, she, Blame it on the uh, God, the her her God that possessed her, and uh, you know it doesn't matter what Cheetah does, how many people Cheetah kills. Wonder Woman will always uh, uh, endanger lives by ch- trusting Cheetah, and that type of stupidity in storytelling. I'm sorry, but this I, I'm sick and tired of it. Wonder Woman has to show show some intelligence, and she's just not showing any here, in my opinion. Um, but I mean, again, beautiful art, but. Just if you want to do something different, if you want to actually do something different, have Wonder Woman brutalize Cheetah and give her the beating that she deserves and throw her in prison. That would be something that would actually be, you know, we get enough of the peaceful warrior, but I need a little bit more Wonder Woman exercising a little bit of more common sense here instead of this nonsense. Uh, we get Eda Candy and her, I guess Eda Candy is, it's Clunrad telegraph things. And we have this purple-haired girlfriend of Etta Candy who very obviously is going to end up betraying Etta Candy at some point. And you know that because of the purple hair. <laughs> and But then that leads into Cheetah wearing some span, some black spandex and um, it's going to be helping Wonder Woman defeat, I guess, you know, whoever's making the milk. Wow. And then for some reason it ends with Wonder Woman greeting Superman up in space space because superman's returned and the next issue battles promises to be a battle for the watchtower and uh i just don't care i this kunrad just don't understand wonder woman i'm not i don't they they i don't appreciate their handle of the character there it's not an exciting handle of the character it's it's very very insulting and can you imagine if somebody wrote lex luther i mean th- i love veronica kale as a villain but Ver- can you imagine if somebody wrote a Lex Luthor storyline where his master plan was to produce a lot of milk and have a lot of people drink some milk. I mean, come on. What, what, just give, put a little bit more thought into this. I mean, I, 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 it's, it becomes, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I agree with you about the backup, for example. It's young Diane in the backup. It's not appropriate for this comic. But at some point, the, the insultingly low intelligent level of the writing of the main storyline is going to ha- – is probably – it's it's actually below – it's a better story being told in young Diana, to be clear. It's a younger story. But make no mistake, the story is infinitely better in terms of quality for young Diana than it is in the main storyline because it knows its audience. But this one is all over the place. And I'm just, you know, I should, I should have saved that for a rant for a separate video. But I'm just, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this. I'm, I, I love the covers of Wonder Woman, but it's pretty sad that uh, consistently with Wonder Woman, we have to hope for a good cover because we know the story is not going to be very good. But. Wait, so you didn't? Wait, I just want to be, so you didn't like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Got it. All right. Don't run into Conrad at a show. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like doesn't like bad reviews. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Let's uh, move on. We have the DC Halloween anthology called DC Terrors Through Time. Eight stories here. There's a Phantom Stranger story written by Paul Levitz, art by Raul Fernandez, colors by Santi Arcus, letters by Josh Reed. Super Sun story called Trick or Treat, written by Sholly Fish, art by Luke, Luciano Vecchio, colors by Wendy Broom, letters by Wes Abbott. Gotham City Siren story, The Poyu Promise, written and illustrated by Peter Nguyen, uh, letters by Wes Abbott. There's a Swamp Thing story called Half-Life, written by Zach Thompson, art by Andy McDonald, colors by Mike Spicer, letters by Becca Carey. A JSA story written by Charles Skaggs, art by Tom Mandrake, colors by Justin Prokowicz. Letters by Josh Reed, a Green Lantern story called The New Darkness, written by Jeremy Hahn, art and colors by Juan Doe, letters by Anne Design. Uh, Etrigan story written by Matthew Levine, art by Jorge Corona, colors by Sarah Stern, and letters by Travis Lanham. And finally, a Damien and Deadman story written by Tim Seeley, art by Kelly Jones, colors by Michelle Madsen, letters by Rob Lee. Uh, I'm going to go through them super fast. Phantom Stranger story about Paul Levitz I thought was okay. If you don't know who Phantom Stranger is, it gives you a good sense of his characterization and shows that DC has sort of squandered Phantom Stranger over the years. He rarely has a solo series, and when he does, it doesn't seem to sell very well. He's such a powerful character. Nobody's ever really kind of defined him, right? There's no, this is the... Uh, Phantom Stranger series or the Phantom Stranger story that epitomizes the character. And if somebody wants to know who he is, go read this story, right? Um, there just isn't that for Phantom Stranger. And he's been around so long, it's sort of strange that, uh, no pun intended, that that hasn't happened. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it's coming. I don't know. The Super Sun story, I thought Charlie Fish did a fantastic job of capturing the feel of the old school Super Suns before John Kent was aged up. And the Vecchio art is spot on beautiful. Gotham City Sirens, Pueyo Promise. Uh, I didn't care for the art. Uh, the art felt very choppy, which sort of makes sense based on Peter Nguyen's style. But the story itself also felt really choppy. I felt the same way about the Swamp Thing story. Um, and it I went from Gotham City Sirens, which felt choppy, to Swamp Thing, which also felt choppy, like I was missing parts of the story. And it reminded me how hard it is sometimes to to tell a story in an anthology when you have such a limited space. Uh, Zach Thompson in the Swamp Thing story uses a lot of dialogue boxes, exposition boxes to try to cover it, uh, you know, cover up that choppiness, but it didn't really work. Um, the Justice Society story was just kind of meh. I, it didn't it didn't seem to have a purpose. Um, it was just kind of okay. The Green Lantern story I thought was interesting, also over really quickly and didn't feel like a complete story, but we got introduced to a couple of new lanterns. One of them, uh, Carvon, is a hybrid. He's got a green ring and a red ring, which I thought was a really cool idea. And I was like, wait, has this guy showed up before? I went and Googled, looked all over. I think it's his first appearance, so speculator alert. Um, I, but then he, they kill him. They kill him. I'm like, just, you had this fantastic. I mean, maybe he's dead. Like it's a comic book. So, you know, maybe he's not, but it was so interesting. And then they just, he's gone. Like, I, I want more of that. I, I'd like to learn more about who Carvon is possibly interesting. Uh, the Etrigan story. I feel kind of the same way I feel about the Phantom Stranger when it comes to the demon. Uh, it's got Jorge Corona art, which we've talked at length in the Batgirls, um, reviews we've given how, how I just don't really feel his work suits superhero. And you could say, well, this isn't really superhero. It's more horror. Um, 
you know, we could debate that, but yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the art choice there. And then not a big fan. I'm not a big Kelly Jones guy either. Um, but at least you know what to expect with Kelly Jones. So, and I, and I'm a fan of dead man, but like I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about, um, Damien being possessed by the demon Nezha, Batman versus Robin. Here, here we go again at the end of the story with dead man, you know, finding out something about Damien who, who has a, some, some evil, uh, entity or what have you has a claim on Damien's soul. And it was even enough to frighten <laughs> dead man. And I just, I had to roll my eyes. Oh, here we go again. Um, and it's not really surprising because Tim Seeley is, is one of the writers who has leaned into that with Damien. And he, he, uh, in previous issues of Batman urban legends has written, uh, Damien, the Batman six, six, six and what have you. So it wasn't a big surprise. Ultimately, I can't recommend this again. I'm not a big Halloween guy. I'm not a big horror guy. This feels like meh. Um, and all that being said, <laughs> I didn't buy this. I didn't order it. I wasn't planning on picking it up, but I do like that idea of that red and green lantern and it is his first appearance. So I was like, do I pick this up for speculation purposes for 10 bucks? Uh, probably not. I'll worry about it if he shows up again at some point, but yeah, again, this, I know this is not for me. I kind of went in it. I went into it knowing it wasn't for me and it didn't disappoint me in that it was exactly what I expected it to be. So uh, any of the stories you want to comment on? Uh, well, uh, the, the Haunting of Wayne Manor uh, by Tim Seeley. Uh, I often, uh, Tim Seeley has always been a writer that has always, uh, he's never, uh, I've, uh, he's never blown me away. Uh, but I, I liked his Superman v Lobo. That was his favorite. His favorite thing he's ever written in my eyes was Superman v Lobo, and uh, I liked his collaboration there with Kelly Jones because I love Kelly Jones art. Because uh, it just it's just Kelly Jones is the perfect artist for any Halloween tale. He's just got that creepy kind of art, and it really works. My other favorite story. I'm not going to belabor the point. Is I I really like the Super Sons story with um uh with the the trick or treat. I thought that I thought it really worked well, and uh, I love the fact that they dressed up like each other for Halloween and then they end up end up helping the Justice League defeat uh, some magical creatures and they basically confuse the magical creatures by pretending to be each other so it was actually it was actually a really fun uh, tr- super Sun story and I got I want to give credit to the writer Sholly fish for uh, you know for entertaining me. I, I, I had some laugh out loud moments and uh, Luciano Vecchio on the art. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, y- y- you mentioned the, the Green Lantern speculator alert. Uh, I guess I'm not a Green Lantern. I, I'm a Green Lantern fan, but I share your question. Has that been done before? Can somebody have wear a red lantern ring and a green lantern ring, have both willpower and the ability to overcome fear, but also have a lot of hatred in with with the red lantern ring it's an interesting combination so uh, i share your sentiment there in terms of you know how how does how does that work um it's uh i also love gotham city sirens whenever whenever uh, the art on gotham city sirens i'm i'm not i'm want to give a shout out to the artist i really mm-hmm. loved i like the art i actually really like the art uh wes abbott i uh now, I thought, Peter oh pardon me who's that Peter yeah. Wynn, sorry, writer and artist. Sorry, thank you. Uh, I, I actually, it's impressive. It's almost got some surreal, almost r- realistic uh, 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 moments. It's, it's, it's even, uh, and the, he, 
yen must also be the the colors as well because it's yeah, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all painted. He, all yeah, stuff is painted. yeah, but I it's impressive. I I really liked it, and I thought it uh, I, th- I thought it worked quite well. So yeah, so kudos to that. But uh, beyond that, the rest uh, I, I'm probably going to pick this up. I think for ten dollars for the Green Lantern alone, I actually enjoyed this. I, I actually actually enjoyed this one i thought it's a good halloween it's i think it's one of the better ones over the last few years so i'll be picking this up yeah i will say it wasn't it wasn't real corny like they tend to be or hokey or yeah. feels dumbed down um, yeah. these are mature yeah more mature style stories so uh all right up next we have superman son of kal-el number 16 written by tom taylor uh seeing tormy on the art along with Ruari Coleman, colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr., letters by Dave Sharp. What would you think of this? I thought this was very uh, – uh, I, I, don't, I don't think anything really happened in this issue. I was surprised at how, 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 little, any, how little everything ha- – like nothing happened. <laughs> like, uh, it, it was uh, – it's called Reunion and uh, – Basically, Tom Taylor, he scripts a lot of character moments again, good character moments, a callback when John Kent is really young and he's he's oversensitive because he all his sense, super senses are driving him crazy. And his, you know, Cal, you know, his father comes to him and tells him everything's going to be OK. And he's he's reflecting on that. He's dreaming about his dad. Uh, and ultimately, at the end of the issue, his dad does come back because we, we know that Kal-El has returned from War World. And, you know, it's just a conversation with, with Lois. Lois misses, misses her husband. Uh, and uh, she, she's, she talks about how she's used to working. And, and, you know, Cal Clark will always keep his coffee, her coffee hot uh, while she's working because she always forgets, forgets and it gets all cold. And, and then the, most of the issue is just John reflecting and going out and doing a bunch of superhero things, you know, taking up you know making up just stopping crime and reflecting and and that the bulk of the issue and then you get into the main stoppage or the main battle that john can't engages in he stops gorilla grod who is uh, uh ultra humanite oh pardon, I, I apologize ultra humanite an attempted prison break because his his uh, nullifiers that prevent him from using his powerful telepathy have been uh, cut off uh, by the by some other unknown uh, villain, and but he stops him, and uh, then and then lo and behold, John just realizes that his dad's returned, and that's there, there's a real nice moment between father and son, and. Uh, and then it's revealed that there's there's this person here who wants to make you know is really upset and uh, is really upset with what John did by freeing the people of Gamora and you know Im- implying that he really doesn't like John Kent and doesn't like what he stands for and 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 wants you know wants to make him less special and. Frankly, this, this was uh, this was not a bad issue. It was just it was just it felt like filler to me. And because I know this is ending at issue, I think eighteen is it, or I think it ends at issue eighteen. Yep. According, yep. and and then I'm 
I, I'm not really into I just wanted to end. I want him to go have his adventures with Ultraman and get that. So, but I'm, uh, I will say this. I want to make a general comment about this series in general that, you know, there's talk out there about how this, you know, some people will, will choose the narrative that this, this series failed. I don't think this series failed at all. Now, we can sit here and we can debate semantics about, well, we're, could the sales could have been better. Yeah, I'm sure they could have. There's a lot of DC comics where the sales could have been better. That's a that's actually a separate issue. But do I think that this series failed? No, I don't. Do I think that John Kent, John Kent as a character has suffered because of this series? I would say no. I mean, you can... You can, the whole sexuality thing, that's a debate for another day. I mean, but I mean, really, I thought it was handled very well, very respectfully. He was still heroic. There was great character moments between all, between all the characters. Tom Taylor knows it had a good combination of action and character mo- work, mostly character work. I thought the plot was kind of by the numbers. And I thought he, he didn't take, I, did, I don't think he took a lot of, uh, I don't think he took a lot of risks in terms of the plot. I think he played it very safe, generally speaking. You know, he started off maybe teasing that he was going to get political, but then he really, this really never got political at all. Not really. It teased it a bit, but it really didn't. This was a relationship, a series of uh, John Kent's relationship with uh, Jay Nakamura. And and there was good character moments. And in that respect, I think it did what it wanted to do. It, you know, it, 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 it became inclusive it told good character moments, good story. This is going to be a series that is going to be remembered and I think and have longevity uh, and have a shelf life longer than I think a lot of people give it credit for. And uh, and plus, you know, uh, DC's listened. We're going to get an Ultraman story, which is what I wanted and better late than never as far as I'm concerned. So what do you think? Yeah, I, in general, I, I sort of agree with you. When you think about what happened in this book, yeah, he got a boyfriend uh, he freed the people of Gomorrah, took out Bendix. Could argument could be made that Luther had a hand in that. Other than that, not much happened. Like, really, really, this is issue sixteen. Like, look, look back at what happened. We really, really, not that much has happened um, in terms of plot wise, character wise. You're right. Like, we saw John. Like, like I, I feel you know as much as I said. I, I think the Adventures of title that's coming should be called Adventures of Superboy. Mm-hmm. He has, in my mind, is he's he's come leaps and bounds in terms of does he deserve to be called Superman? He's much closer to to deserving that title. And if his dad decided to retire, and he was the only Superman in the DC universe, I would say, yeah, sure, I, I'm way more comfortable with him being called Superman now than not. My my main thing with uh, him not me not wanting him to be called Superman is just I don't like when two characters two separate characters have the same name. If it's different versions from different realities, that's one thing. But I don't like that there's a Peter Parker Spider-Man and a Miles Morales Spider-Man. Call one of them something else. I don't like that there's a Bruce Wayne Batman and a Jace Fox Batman. Call one of them something else. And I don't like that there's Clark Kent and John Kent both being called Superman. Call one of them something else. Um, but that's just my own personal thing. So I think this this did succeed, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the Ultraman story as well. And I'm looking forward to the last couple issues of this. Uh, as far as this particular issue goes, I, I agree with you. It's all build up to that moment when uh, Clark comes back and you have a, that nice father-son moment. I think personally for me, it didn't land with as much emotional impact as as maybe it could have or should have. But I, that all goes down to timing, right? Like we've had other issues of other series. We had an action comics issue where he's already been back for a while. Um, so I, like I think if, if this was the first – 
time we saw um, we saw Superman back on Earth in this panel, hugging his son. I think that it would land would have landed more, um, but it didn't, and that is what it is. Uh, on a, maybe a more important note, when when did Pogs come back? You remember Pogs? From back in the nineties, <laughs> I, I don't know. You're, you're referring to the variant cover. That's about it. Those, the, <laughs> it's even, you even see one of them tongue in cheek. There's called a cog. See, it's got. I mean, those are pogs. I was trying, when I first saw yeah. it, I was like, "What the heck are those things supposed to be? Those are pogs. Like, why pogs yeah. are not back? Don't try it. So, yeah, whoever uh, did this cover, please, please, for the love of God, don't try to make pogs yeah. happen. Hey, I again. still have my Return of Superman uh, after the death of Superman, the Return of Superman pogs. I remember they had a cardboard I, pogs. I still have mine. <laughs> I don't think, I, in fact, I'm sure I never spent a single cent on a pog, nor do I own any pogs. Uh, young, had younger brothers and sisters that had some, but oh my God, they were little tiny pieces of cardboard for those that don't know and put a little piece of foil on it or whatever and charge many, many dollars. Like uh, it, it was a bigger ripoff than Beanie Babies. So yeah, <laughs> it pogs, horrible, horrible thing from the nineties. Go go- if you're not familiar with what it is for the love of God, go Google it and then you'll want to burn your eyes out. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Batgirls number 11. Boy, uh, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, Neil Gouge on art, Scott Godlewski, Handles uh, some inks and finishes. Uh, Wayne Faulkner also helping with inks. And then Rico Renzi on colors. Becca Carey on letters. Um, man, the art here was really inconsistent. Uh, I guess Gouge just didn't have time to, to finish it. Um, but it is this art is rough. There, there was one particular panel where we get a side view of Stephanie Brown and – I it pulled me out of the story so bad. Uh, it's when her and Map's brother are uh, at the lion at the tiger cage. Sorry, at the zoo, and it, it's supposed to be a side profile of her, but she sort of you only see one eye, but she looks like a cyclops. And her it, partly because her mouth doesn't go all the way to the side of her face. Uh, I think go one more one more page, Rocky. Uh, one more page. Uh, nope, I guess one more page. Okay. Um, one it, more it, page. It, it just, it was so, uh, it was so bad. Uh, it's right before the page, right before they get their lemonade cola. So maybe, I'm sorry, maybe I had you go too far for those that are um, watching us on YouTube. The yeah, lemonade cola. Yeah, keep, yeah. yeah, keep going up. Keep going up. But yeah, uh, as far as the story itself, we're still, yeah, go now go one page forward. No, what the heck? Are you missing that page? I I don't know. I'm just Oh, there. I think you're looking. Is this the one? That's the one in the middle there on the yeah. left-hand side. <laughs> yeah. What is wrong with her face? She kind of reminds me of Eric Stoltz in Mask, that share movie. Like she's just like her anatomy is all messed up. She just doesn't look right. Um but as far as the story goes, they're still trying to figure out who this ripper killer is. Um there's some hints that the, uh, we get introduced. I, I think uh, it's a new character. We get introduced to a new Officer Brooks. Uh, and there's some hints that he's going to be the new liaison between the Barbara Gordon Batgirl and the Gotham City Police Department. We saw last issue that 
Barbara Gordon talked to Commissioner Montoya and said, yeah, I'm not going to break in, I'm not going to hack in and just steal information anymore. So I guess this is how she's going to get information. It seems unnecessary. You know, sometimes it's okay to hack in and take the information you need. It's for the greater good. I don't know why that even needs to be part of the story. That, uh, but, but anyway, um, this just this isn't working. It's again much like their Wonder Woman title. It's been inconsistent, and despite Maps Maguchi uh, Mizuguchi showing up here, who's uh, who I'm beginning to like as a character, even though I didn't read the Gotham uh, Academy books. Um, there's not a whole lot here to, to say, okay, you got to read this issue because of this or that. Um, it's another one of those issues other than being introduced to officer Brooks and seeing some bad anatomy. I don't know why I'm reading. I don't know why I'm reading it. And then at the end, uh, apparently we find out that this Ripper guy has been the Riddler all along. And granted we recently in the Batman one bad day, Riddler special that, and again, that's a almost like a black label type book or out of regular continuity. Um, but the Riddler is not really the, like a serial killer type, but yet he's the one that's been killing people. Why? why? Like what, what's the point of that? Like Riddler's never been, uh, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the way DC's handled the Riddler over the last 10 years, trying to make him more formidable and psychotic. I mean, he always used to, he wanted money because he's a criminal and he liked riddles, and they've made him like this psychopathic guy, and now apparently he's a serial killer as well. And if he was leaving clues all along, why did it take him so long to figure out it was a riddler? Like, I don't know. N- none of this is making sense for me. I-, I feel like I'm missing something here. So, Rocky, please t- tell me what I'm missing. Like, what? Well, why I, is this? <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able out. to enlighten you. I, uh, um, yeah. you know, I, uh, Look, I, I I've been hard on uh, on uh, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad on on Wonder Woman, uh, and but I've always said Batgirls is was was not written for me, and 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 it still isn't. But I'm a uh, I'm a Becky Cloonan fan of her writing of Gotham Academy, and I and I like Maps uh, Mazaguchi. I've always butchered her name, but I I like to see that inclusion here. I I actually do think that artistically, I agree with you on the art. I'm I'm frustrated with the art because um, because it you know Gotham Academy actually had a very specific style artistic style and uh, and it was was Carl Ketchel wasn't it uh, yeah Carl yeah. Ker- Carl Kershaw yeah Carl Kershaw yeah and uh, so I'm I'm so used to that so it's a little bit jarring to see these different styles for for maps but uh, you know I, I'm not going to be able to enlighten you on the story here I I don't. This story, it's not been very compelling to me. And I'll be honest, this style of art takes me out of this. I, I still have a very hard time getting into this story because it just, this feels like, this feels like I'm reading, uh, for the same reason I don't even bother to read uh, Young Diana because it's it's just written for a younger audience. This, this is clearly drawn for a younger audience. Uh, and yet, you know, again, the same thing I've said this before, it's... It, so it's hard for me to get into it. But having said that, no, it's 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 not a, not a bad story. Riddler's the one that ends up being the bad guy here. It's it's just this is such an eclectic mix of s- small like teenage emotions and silliness with s- ridiculously significant subject matters of a serial killer with 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 <laughs> and it's it, it's just there's something about it. It just doesn't 
feel right. And, um, you know, I just, I, um, I, yeah, you know what? You're, you're hundred percent right. I think maybe I didn't, I didn't articulate it well, but you're right. There's just something about it that doesn't, doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. The the art and the subject matter, story, tone, whatever have never matched. And yeah, it doesn't feel right. And even when the Riddler shows up that at the end, that doesn't feel right either. Like it, no, this wasn't. Like it yeah. never was hinted at that it should be the like it's just it's just not working. I don't I can't put. Well, it should have been a big moment with the Riddler showing up, but even but the Riddler himself just looks s- silly, I guess. And I mean, look, you can say that about any Batman Rogues gallery that they're they're all silly villains. But what the reason what what makes comic books work is the verisimilitude that you can feel the terror when these individuals show up. But but yet at the same time, Batgirls, it's it's not really a comic. To create terror in the readership, is it? It's written for a particular demographic, right? Or or is it? And this is this is a comic book that continues to fail to find itself. And um, you know, the fact that I can't answer that question tells us everything <laughs> we need to know. I, I don't. Is it for written for who? Is it written for back? Is it written for Stephanie Brown fans? For Cassandra King fans? For Barbara Gordon? Yeah. Is it written for older audience, people that are familiar with DC? Is it younger? Like, I can't, I can't tell you who it's written for. Like, it makes no sense to me. You know, I can, as much as some of the other stuff is uh, that we've read, you know, let's just focus on this week that we may have liked or may not have liked. I could tell you who it's for, you know, I could tell you who it appealed, like the Batman Incorporated. That That's for people who are familiar with Batman, but don't necessarily need to, to know anything about Batman or, or any of the goings on at the DC in the DC universe right now, yeah. who is uh, Batman and versus Robin written for? Well, yeah. that's for fans of Damian Wayne, people who read the Robin series, people who have been keeping up with the regular Batman series, people who have been following Joshua Williamson's work. Like I can tell you those things. Yeah. I can't, I have no idea who this Batgirl book is for. No, yeah. no clue. And, 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 and the thing is, and, and I, I hate, and I'm going to apologize to people listening right now because I'm going to play script doctor for a second. And that's unfair if I'm reviewing a comic, but just playing script doctor, we're dealing with Cassandra Kane, the greatest assassin, arguably on par or better than Batman, better than Lady Shiva, who really is supposed to really, her first language is the language of motion, not the English language. Uh, she shouldn't be talking like a teenager. I'm sorry. She shouldn't be talking and intermingling with, with Stephanie Brown as if she's just another teenager. Meanwhile, Stephanie Brown is royally screwed up. She's got a dysfunctional father, clue master. She, she's royally screwed up. She's got self-esteem issues because she's not as good. She's genuinely not, not only she's not as good as, as good as any other member of the Bat family. She knows it and she feels it and it affects the way she, but you never get that really, you don't get enough of that here. And plus, Barbara Gordon's in here. Barbara Gordon's going to end up marrying Nightwing at some point. And so Barbara Gordon's in here. So I can't believe we have a Batgirls comic with all three Batgirls. And this feels, it doesn't feel, I don't feel the gravitas that I'm reading about three cool members of the Batman family. Batgirls has never felt so weak and uneventful. (laughs) And, And frankly, just this is... This is, is lacking any degree of gravitas for 
any of the characters, it's not focusing. We're not getting any character focus on Cassandra Kane. We're not getting any character focus on Stephanie Brown. We're not any getting. We're not getting any rev- character insights into Barbara Gordon. And so, why is this called Batgirls? Beyond the fact that they, it just happens to star three women that have the mantle, and that's where this falls apart for me. And I, and until it finds itself and, and figures itself out, I that criticism is going to remain. And this remains one of the most disappointing uh, DC comic books of the last year. In my mind, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. And I'd have no big investment in Stephanie Brown. I would be more interested in learning more about her if she's a little more interesting. Um, But if you tell me you're going to have a Batgirls book and it's going to have Barbara Gordon and Cassandra Cain in it, I'm in, right? Like I, I like Barbara Gordon and I'm a huge fan of Cass, but we're not getting any versions of them that, or that have that made me fall in love with them in the first place. These are just different different versions of them. And again, maybe this just this book just isn't for for us. So anyway, let's move on to the last book we're going to talk about in detail. I am Batman, issue number fourteen. This is written by John Ridley. We've got art by uh, Christian Ducey and Tom Derenick. Rex Locus and Romulo Fajardo Jr. handle the colors. Troy Petrie on letters. Uh, the right question finale. Uh, what'd you think? I, well, you, you and I have been in, you and I have been enjoying this uh, series for the most part. And um, sorry about this. I'm making sure I have it on. Uh, and um, this, I enjoy this issue. I, I've, I've enjoyed the, the journey of, uh, of Jace Fox, uh, Batman. Uh, he's in New York City and he's him and the question. Renee Montoya are trying to solve the murder of Anik, Anarchy. Anarchy is a, is a character that <laughs> was murdered way back uh, during uh, Fear State. And, and we, thought, we thought we knew who the murderer was, but it ends up that it ends up being more complicated than that. And what, uh, what I like what, uh, uh, John Ridley has done here is that we, you know, we've gotten an exploration of not only Jace Fox's character, but also Renee Montoya. Renee Montoya is, as the question here, uh, she alt- she's been sort of the sounding board for Jace Fox. I mean, in fact, she's given a lot of very good advice to Jace Fox. She's actually, Jace Fox is when he's risked maybe losing it, losing his temper, making poor decisions. Renee Montoya has been there. She's almost like a mentor to him. And I really like that interplay between them. And I think John Ridley, that was sort of an inspired thing for him to do. Because quite frankly, Renee Montoya is a character that has a lot of experience. She's got a lot of experience as a cop, uh, paying her dues in Gotham City as a detective. Uh, and during the you know Half-A-Life storyline, I think of Greg Rucka, Ed Brubaker, that classic uh, uh, Gotham Central s- series, which is frankly legendary status it's fantastic and she became the question and now she's you know here she is in new york city helping jace fox find solve the murder of vanarchy and what i like about this issue what i got out of it is this issue is really about actually renee montoya in my mind uh, at the end of this jace fox actually questioned renee montoya and said was this all a test was this your way of testing me and she said no this is my way of testing myself because we know that renee montoya is going to go from here into the new dc series uh where gotham pd where she decides to, I, I guess become a I guess a detective again or a, the commissioner of gotham or what what have you so she's 
some people view that as a demotion because they want Renee Montoya to stake the question. And this is John Ridley's way of maybe trying to justify Renee Montoya's new role moving forward in the dawn of the DCU. As far as the story itself, uh, we actually get, I think it's uh, Tiffany Fox. Uh, did I get the right sister? She she finally I think so. I can't. <laughs> could be Tammy Fox or Tiffany. It's one of them. I apologize if I get it wrong. I can be corrected in the chat. But in any event, uh, uh, Tiffany Fox ends up uh, confronting uh, some some muggers and um, ultimately ends up being confronted by uh, one of the detectives who uh, you know ultimately uh, ultimately. Uh, they, she gets into an altercation with I forget the detective's name. I apologize, but the uh, the detective who's good friends with Jace uh, with Batman and Whitaker. Uh, Whitaker. Uh, Whitaker's uh, the the male character, uh, the male detective. It's the uh, oh, you're talking about the girl that she sits down at the uh, the table with. No, that that's Hayid. That's oh, the one that she's yeah. fighting. I, I uh, oh that, yeah, the bat yeah the. I can't remember his I name. I can't remember her name. The one that shot, the one that was going to shoot at at Jace, basically. Yeah, but uh, in any event, it's uh, it's we get some. We, uh, Tiffany Fox is wants so much to f- give back. She wants to be a superhero and and going about it in all the wrong ways. And she kind of has a ridiculous looking suit, you know, a, like a like a red jumpsuit with a green goggles on or a green mask and she's making all the wrong decisions but I mean very clearly Jace Fox's Batman is going to end up with probably she's going to end up being the, the new sidekick uh, for Jace Fox Batman and at the end uh, they get video surveillance of Tiffany doing this fighting and Jace Fox right away he recognizes her when he's shown the footage by the detective and he says oh damn so he knows he knows his sister is probably the one who's uh, up to no good here and um, and it, it ends with this issue ends with the tease that the next crisis is going to be the next part of me the next issue is going to deal with dark crisis of the soul because we note that dark that Jace Fox rejected uh the, the call to arms that John Kent tried to get him to join the fight in, in Dark Crisis, but Jace declined. And um, uh, there's, there's going to be fallout from that next issue. So all in all, it's, it's, it's not a bad issue. I don't is – this, is this headed for cancellation, this series? Do you know, Jace? Not that I, not that I know of. Yeah, um, okay. It's going pretty well. And yeah, I mean the, the thing that's really strange is you know Whitaker, who Jace has gotten along with all along, says something to him about, you know, he, he sees the footage. He recognizes his sister um, as detective Chubb is walking away. She, she senses that, Hey, you're holding out on me better. And then Whitaker kind of confronts Jace about that. And then Jace just flies off the handle, beats the crap out of him. And Chubb's like kneeling down next to her partner going, I don't know. Like you just attacked him. I don't know if he's going to survive. And then that, that last panel you had up there, we see that there's, there's a, like this yellow glow in the eyes of Whitaker. So some hint that, you know, he's possibly possessed by somebody. Maybe it's psycho pirate. We saw him detective comics recently. Like that that just seemed a little out of character for Jace to go off like that, but not too far out of character, but still it's like, this guy's supposed to be a hero and he, he goes off. So yeah, remains to be seen what, what will happen there. I, I suppose it does, you know, him acting that way and, not being really established as a as a true Batman, as a trustworthy Batman, yeah, it kind of plays into that, and it plays into something that 
uh, Renee Montoya said earlier on in the issue when she talked about the gray, right? Like things aren't black and white, they're gray. We get her reasoning, like Rocky mentioned, uh, of why she didn't take the com uh, job as police commissioner in New York City and goes back to Gotham, which makes sense. Um, the only complaint I had about the issues, is it feels a little choppy from from the beginning of the issue with the resolution to the anarchy thing. Like it's been this, it's been the whole focus uh, of investigation since Jace has been in New York. Who's the, who's the guy behind the, the killing of this activist, Danny, whatever his name is, who's behind the killing of anarchy. And then it's resolved in like the first couple panels of this issue. We're just told like they, so that felt like, okay, the story's gone on long enough. John really just wants to finish that. And it felt like more like a story beat that should have been at the end of an issue. Instead, it's like right at the beginning. And then we get like a bunch of sort of political stuff, a bunch of maneuvering things around. Um, you know, one of these soap opera issues, honestly, like I've talked before about how the I Am Batman, the whole Jace Fox storyline feels like, you know, Empire on Fox you know, this, this nighttime soap opera starring the, the Fox family. Um, I say Empire on Fox. I mean, the Fox TV network, not like the Fox, Lucius Fox family. But this Lucius Fox family, it, it, this feels like a soap opera. So you are going to have those these issues or those issues where, you know, you it is a bunch of talking and there's not that much action and you're kind of maneuvering people around and setting things up going forward. But I just, I sort of question the, like I, I think even though we had that resolution early on and then had a bunch of follow, follow, uh, follow up from it, you could have put that res. You could have had. I mean, the follow up wasn't necessarily predicated on the fact that they solved the mystery. You could have had that conversation that Nadia and um, I think her name's Nadia, right? Like uh, the question and whoever the Middle Eastern girl is that that um, Jace clearly still has feelings for. You could have still put that at the uh, in the in the same place, but had the resolution with who killed Anarchy at the end. Like there's nothing. There's nothing that happens at the end um, that you couldn't have sw swapped stuff around. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It, it just felt weird to have that resolution at the beginning and then the rest of the issue. It makes it feel even more like um, afterthought or epilogue. So again, just I think it could have. I think it could have worked better if the you know again not to play script doctor, but I think just the pacing. Um, and maybe it's just a matter of having a, an editor with a little more experience. I'm not even sure who the editor is on this book, to be honest with you. But yeah, I just uh, I just think it could have been done a little bit better. So it, it, it felt weird. It makes the rest of that issue after the revelation of who killed Anarchy and they're, um, they're taking him down. It makes the rest of it all feel like epilogue. So... Uh, but overall, I'm enjoying this series, despite the fact that Jace Fox needs a different code name. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so that's going to do it for the books we're going to talk about in detail. There are a couple of other single issues that come out this week. The Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries has a new number one for why I couldn't tell you, but it does. So if you've been waiting for a new reboot of Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries uh, so you can jump on, there you go. You can start with the new number one that's out this week. Uh, also, The Flash, The Fastest Man Alive, number two, which is the second issue of the series that's a prelude to the movie. Um, I read the first one. It was incredibly boring. I just I couldn't bring myself to read this one. Problems with um, 
Ezra Miller, non, notwithstanding. Um, so I didn't read it. I have no idea if it's any good or not. He just I can, uh, I can give a quick summary. He fights a villain called Tar Pit that you see on the cover and he, he loses. He learns to control his vibrations better so that he can vibrate through objects and rescue people and bring people with him through walls. And I'm, I'm, I think that's a power that he, we're going to be seeing in the movie. That's what the point of the issue was. Yeah, if you go see, I have mixed feelings about whether I'm going to go see that movie or not. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, there are a few collections out this week as well. Wonder Woman Evolution hardcover is out. DC Horror Presents Soul Plumber hardcover is also out. And then one that Rocky highly recommends. Uh, Teen Titans Academy Volume Two Exit <laughs> also has a hardcover. Yeah, right. If you, yeah, if you listen to our reviews, you'll know how Rocky and I were both a giant fan of Teen Titans Academy, uh, Tim Sheridan's work, and Red X is our favorite character in comics. Not even in comics, Red X is just our favorite character of all time anywhere in any sort of fiction ever. So. So take that for what you will. Uh, anyway, so you're going with uh, Batman versus Robin as your book of the week. I, I'm going to give the nod to Batman Incorporated. They're both very much worth your time. Honorable mentions for uh, Batman Urban Legends 20, which has a couple of fantastic stories in it. And if you're so inclined to pick up DC's terror through time, there is the first appearance of a lantern who has a green and a red ring. First time I think we've seen that. I mean, we've seen uh, Kyle Rayner, and we've seen other Lanterns, Hal Jordan. Um, I'm drawing a blank on her name, but um, Sinestro's daughter was a green Lantern. Uh, Sar- Sarnik? Sarnik? Yeah, Sarnik. Yep, Sarnik. That's it. That's what it, it is. So we've seen Lanterns wear different colored rings, but I don't think we've ever seen one wear two rings at the same time. Not even, um, not even Kyle Rayner. So... Speculation alert if you want to pick up that issue. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Anything you want to uh, tease or let people know about that you've had released recently, Rocky? Uh, well, I just uh, – every week I do my uh, do my indie comic review with uh, Jim at Weird Science. We just uh, – we reviewed some uh, comic books uh, actually just uh, – this past week but some newer issues teenage mutant ninja turtles and uh there was uh there was a <laughs> uh or uh joshua williamson's dark dark ride number one was really good we both gave it a 9.5 out of 10 it was uh and it, we, we were very pleased to give joshua williamson a, a, a nod because we were as disappointed as we have been with dark crisis uh dark ride is absolutely fantastic as an opening issue and uh so we're hopeful that's gonna he's gonna continue to be so well it's the same creative team as on uh, birthright with andrea breslin and uh i think adriana lucas on the color so it was very well done yeah i love that book that was my book of the week last week if you listen to my new comics wednesday episode um if you're not aware bad idea we've covered some of their books on here before they have a Kickstarter going on right now. If you don't have any bad idea books, you can get the entire run uh, as well as hardcover. They, they don't typically do collected editions, but um, anyway, you can hear about it. Well, I interviewed them live from the floor of New York Comic-Con before it kicked off on Thursday. You can go check out the video. It's on my uh, Comic Source YouTube channel if you want to check that out or just listen uh, on the regular audio-only podcast. Don't forget, if you do listen to us uh, audio-only, to go and subscribe to Rocky's channel. So you can see our smiling faces and check out the art as we're talking about these books. Just go to YouTube, do a search for comic space, boom, exclamation point, and then do all the typical stuff. You know, you guys know 
what's up. Subscribe, like, comment, all that sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, go to wherever you find podcasts to find the comic source. So you don't miss out on any of our audio content. Uh, I'll have another crowd-funded uh, spotlight that goes up the same day as this uh, that's talking about a Zoop campaign that kicks off today, uh, October 11th. So be sure to look for that and then look for our new comic Wednesday episode tomorrow, spoiler free as always. So we appreciate you guys joining us and that's going to do it. So we'll talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.